All right, we are back with another edition of the Friday Forecast. Welcome for everybody who got the uh, invite. Looks like YouTube sent it out because I got a, I got a copy of it. Uh, I'm joined here by the hardest working cat on the internet. You can tell that he's really uh, busting it out today. Jasper, the astrological cat. And uh, we're going to be joined here in a minute by the Krimis who come by on the first Friday of every month. And uh, it's kind of an interesting Friday. This is like, I think, uh, aren't we in sort of some Easter uh, holiday processional time? Isn't, do we just come through, uh, uh, what, what, what do you call it? Ash Wednesday? Do we just come through Ash Wednesday? We're in Lent now, aren't we? So we're going to be talking about Malachi Martin today. I think it's kind of appropriate that we're in this, this procession of the Easter holidays. And uh, Chris and Steve, and mainly Chris, has put together quite a bit of information on Malachi Martin uh, and uh, drawing a lot from his, his novel, which is kind of a, maybe a kind of a tell-all way of uh naming names and breaking down characters inside the Catholic church. He's a very interesting character. He's very complex and there's a lot of layers uh, to Martin. And uh, we're going to, we're going to try to get into that today and avail ourselves of a lot of the work that uh, Chris has been doing. And I've been doing a little, just a, not as much as she has, but I've been doing a little bit of digging on my own. And he, again, he's a very, he's one of these guys that's hard to get a handle on sometimes, which is kind of the story of our time in a lot of ways. So I don't think it's any um, mistake or, or in some ways happenstance that we're going to be talking about him during a time where reality and the people that are the actors of reality seem to be almost as fluid in some ways as Malachi Martin and his legacy. So let's uh, let's not waste any more time. Let's bring on the Krimis live from Asheville, North Carolina, the People's Republic of Asheville. Yes, Jasper, you're doing a great job channeling the essence of the show. There you are. Here we are. Hey. E2 hey, Tom what's, what's happening? Oh, quite a bit, apparently. <laughs> quite Steve, a bit. I like I like your shirt. What's the story behind your shirt Isn't there? That a nice it's, shirt? And I can't remember. It's um, you know, I like to pick up music on Bandcamp and some uh bands have shirts associated with their CD, and I can't even remember um which one this is, but it was it looked nice and so. There's something compelling up. about it. I don't know why. I didn't like it when he first got it, but the more he wore it, it really started to grow on me. There's something about it. And then yesterday I was thinking, well, this is like, are these like um, the twin suns, you know, or the sun behind the sun? Or is this a geometry grid? What the heck is going on here? And what are these symbols? This, I was looking at it at, to do the record at breakfast this morning, trying to figure out. I think if you I think if you keep playing with them though, uh, you might get a few uh, laughs out of Steve there. Yeah, 
Well, either way, <laughs> push this button right <laughs> that here. Button, yeah. Ticklish, I'm not. Um, that, that, well, says, that says more about the shirt than the band, though, actually, right? Like the shirt gets like, I don't know who the band was, but now we're talking about the shirt. So, <laughs> yeah. yeah, I, um, yeah, it's, you know, it's, it's difficult for me to find things I like and uh, things that fit nicely, and this mm -hmm. one does. So well, it's a uh, it's a it's a cool shirt. So what is Viva it? La Chemise. You don't remember the name of the band? Not now. Oh, too bad. I'd have to go look. They it. don't get a now, now. Chris is channeling the 1920s over there today. Always, yeah. 1920s. I'm always behind the times, Robert. Yeah, never that's ahead. good though. That's good. It is. I think so, I, I was uh, born lamenting that I wasn't in the Victorian era. I think I came out feeling that way, like oh, I'm in the wrong century. What am I, doing I think here? a lot of people have that feeling of displacement. Like, ah, this is oh, just yeah, I've life. had it all it's my life. My yeah. Yeah. Like, I don't yeah. belong in this timeline. There was a period where I felt a, a kinship with the 1950s. Did you? Yeah. I did feel this kinship with the 50s. I'm like, that was kind of a cool time. And, that, and I think that was really more like when I was in high school, but did you have to wonder whether or not it's a byproduct of how they were marketing? Because there were a lot of uh, baby boomers who were trying to uh, come to terms with their life growing up mm -hmm. in the 50s. So you had American Graffiti by George Lucas, which yeah. made it look really cool, right? Yeah. Um, and then you had the sort of the bastardized TV version of Happy Days, which I didn't really like all that much, but it was on TV and there wasn't a lot on TV. So you watched it. Well, what uh, really were, spoke to me was West Side Story. I That's, so yeah. That. Uh, that, that, yeah, that, yeah, that blew me up. I just loved West Side Story and I loved Bernardo and the Puerto Ricans. I just thought they were the coolest people. And, right. Yeah. yeah. Well, you know, that was uh, that was Bernstein, right? Leonard Bernstein. Mm -hmm. Leonard Bernstein was, yeah. right. And actually, and then, yeah. I was in the eighth grade and one of the parish priests took us to the theater to watch that movie. As like wow. a little field trip. Yeah. Wow. Father Coley. Yeah, we used to do that a few times just to see movies. I remember young Winston Churchill. I remember as a freshman in high school, they took us to. Um, yeah, that was, uh, who was that? James Fox played young Winston Churchill. Could be, could be. If I'm, yeah. If I'm not and, mistaken. And, and back to West Side Story, you know, they, they did a remake last year, a completely woke version. Of course. Of but they, they couldn't mess with the music too much. Maybe they could do a musical version of Young Winston Churchill. <laughs> that would be that would be interesting, don't you think? Yeah, subtitled, um, you know, a cigar is a cigar. Um, the West Side Story thing, I remember as a kid watching that, and I think it was right around, right around the same time we were reading Romeo and Juliet and. In, uh, oh, nice! High of course, nice. Oh, perfect. Yeah. And I, is that why? Is that why they did that? Why they, why no, in everybody, well, everybody school, read, they... everybody read Romeo and Juliet. It just so happened to correspond with my, oh, first just was this of, happening. Yeah, okay. Of, of How do we go? West Side Story. You know, Russ Tamblin is in West Side Story. Yeah. And uh, his, uh, his daughter, Amber, is a, is a full blown witch. Mm. She, I mean, really, she's a witch. Some people, and are. she was casting yeah. spells on Trump. Oh, I remember that. Oh, there are a bunch and of them. I, and I think I think she's married to uh, David Cross, who was uh, he's a comedian and he was part of the David Cross Bob Odenkirk kind of uh, comedy team. The 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 was it the Mister Show? 
hmm. program. Did you, ever, did you ever watch that? I don't remember that. No. Anyway, Russ hmm. Tamblin is still alive. And the reason I know this is because I went on to Stephen King's Twitter feed to see who he subscribes to on Twitter or oh, follows on Twitter. I've heard you say that, yeah. And Russ Tamblin is one of the people he follows. Hmm. So there, there's our six degrees of hmm. West Side Story, Russ Tamblin, and Stephen King. Yeah, yeah. yeah, I'm not a huge musical fan. I just, I, I, I think, I think. Me either, but I love West Side Story. You, you, so you don't like musicals either? Not especially. Or, or animation, well, but not so much, yeah. I don't dislike them, but um, I, I, they're okay. They're, there's something uplifting about them. So we, we have a neighbor across the street who played, he bought an organ and he plays show tunes all the time with the windows open and, Oh, that's kind of kind of cool in some ways, right? It is. It is cool. It's I very sweet. love it. I just yeah, love it. yeah. Why I feel not? like that... it's a blessing for the whole neighborhood. But all my neighbor over this way says it drives me into the house. He can't deal with it. Right. Steve you should, is you like should, what, what he should do is he should put like a little, uh, you know, like a little box out front for requests. Right. And right. you could actually request a song for him to Fred play. Has right. his own repertoire. It goes over the same. But, uh, but that way you like, could get some community involvement, right? Oh, yeah. But right. He's, he's like, you know, the Grateful Dead. He'll do like 25 minute versions of T for Two. Yeah. You go to bed with <laughs> T for Two in your <laughs> So here, 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 very sweet about it. No, I, I think it'd be great to have like show tunes. I love it. I just being, love yeah, it. Being played. Yeah. It makes me happy, but I see all the neighbors running for cover, you know, and then I feel bad. Oh, but... God. What a bunch of killjoys. Right. And that's um, how I feel. You know, it's like, come on, Fred. And I kind of feel like I have a responsible part in this because I'm always egging him on. I'm like, Fred, that's so nice. It's like a blessing for the neighborhood. So now he plays with his windows open and music so really loud. You should bring him on the show one of these days. Let's Let's meet this guy. Well, Fred? if we go, go long yeah. enough, all we have to do is open up the doors. Yeah. Let's bring him. Let's bring him over. Let's add, let's talk nervous. to him about. He's that's Filipino. Okay. He's Filipino, yeah. and he's very high strung, and uh-huh. very nervous. And the sad part is, he and his wife lost their daughter about five years ago. She was twenty-one, and she died of cancer. And they live mm. in grief. And he's always telling me how he plays for her. Oh my God. So, so when I hear it, I just hear his, he's sending his love to his daughter who he can't That's reach great. anymore. That's awesome. I was like, ah, oh, you know. It's a great story. Oh, and he's always planting flowers for her. He's now he's into roses and he's, you know, and oh, I, I did this for Amber. And look, this is the tree I planted. Oh, her name her. is Amber, like Amber Tamplin. Uh, I don't know who that is. That's Russ Tamblin's daughter, who I was just talking about. Oh, witch, and right? see, I don't know who, who that person is, so that right. doesn't link in for me. But, right, but, but I just, it's interesting that we, we're talking about yeah. two Ambers here. That's interesting, for sure. Yeah. 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 Huh. But well, he's um, very sweet, and, and yeah. I just love him to bits. He's such a sweet man, and, you know, he just he just misses his daughter so much. And they used, well, she used to play music, she and her brother, and they actually went to China together with the school band or school school mm-hmm. chorus and they right. sang and played instruments. And so, you know, it was a big music was a big part of their life that they shared together. So his loss is your game. Let's let's I see it that way. Yeah. So anyway, yeah. we should the soundtrack. On, all right. All right. All right. Too, but I got I got to connect these two dots now because uh, they're just 
bits of useless ephemera in my head, but they seem to kind of connect. Do uh, you remember Denny McLean, Steve? Of course. 31, won 31 games in 1968. He was also a, an organist. He would play uh, organ for like audiences. Like I always thought that was really weird. Hmm. You know, Denny McLean, who was sort of the Billy the Kid of Major League Baseball, had this side hustle as being an organist. It was huh. very, very, very odd. He was an Aquarian, though. So that makes sense. And then the other the other thing, and I never do this until oh, I love the story too. Before you go on about him like grooving one of Mickey Mantle's last last home runs in his last so, season, so, which so he 68. could do it for him. So he could yeah, do it so for him. Was, I think Bill um, was it Cash Cashman was the catcher or something. I forget the Detroit. Well, it was guy. Bill Freeman? Bill Freeman. Freeman. That's it. Yeah. And yeah, and so he goes he goes to Mantle. He goes up. You know, it's late in the game. They're winning six to one. They've already long won the pennant. You know, and he says, "Danny's going to groove one to you." You know, and Mantle's like, oh, you know, is this a trick? You know, he throws one right down the middle, you know, and then uh, and he's like, he looks at it and he says, OK, maybe this is real. Throws another one right down the middle. Mantle misses it. And then the third one, he, you know, he pops into the stands. And um, so that's a good story. You know, so that's, that's when baseball was 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 fun. Mm. Oh God! Don't get me started, right? I mean, <laughs> no, it, no just, we don't have to go down. Yeah. So but the, the other, the other connection here, and this is uh, kind of obscure, but but it has to do with your neighbor being Filipino, is that I never do this, but Roman Gabriel, who played quarterback for the Rams and the Eagles, was part Filipino. Like his father was Filipino, mm-hmm. so he was the first Filipino quarterback i don't know if any other filipino quarterbacks that have ever played in the nfl but roman gabriel was yeah. was uh was was one of them that's a great quarterback uh, name isn't it roman gabriel is about one of the best quarterback names you you could come up with for quarterback mm-hmm. it's a great one there's mm-hmm. some other football names that i like there was this one guy steve stonebreaker he used to play for, I think, maybe uh, the Eagles, name? Steve, Steve Stone. See, like, if you want a football player, you want Steve Stonebreaker on your team. Uh, I, think it was I love names. Saints. Names are fascinating. Yeah. One of my other favorite football names was Thane Gash. Thane Gash. That is a real name. I'm like, dude, Wait, if you're not playing football. A book of names. With Thane Gash, you're, you're missing out on your career choice. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, let's just do a quick kind of temperature check on what's going on in the world then we'll then we'll dive into the mysterious Malachi Martin and his very enigmatic uh role in the world very influential like incredibly mm-hmm. influential but yeah. very enigmatic too he was a giant uh, um let's uh, let's just let's just talk a little bit about this strange bizarre war that we find ourselves somehow indirectly in the midst of and then this bizarre state of the union thing that i talked about yesterday on my show yeah i guess i have to go back and yeah. look at it i always avoid him so i, could, I didn't I, listen to it but i guess i should huh? i couldn't actually i couldn't stomach like the, the 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 canned applause i think i saw a little bit of that um so but it seems like there are a couple of really major things going on and I'm not going to be real, and I, I'm not even going to consider myself expert enough to talk about him with any depth. But you know, the 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 real uh, number one, I, I was surprised that that Putin has gone as far as he mm-hmm. as he would, 
you know, I was expecting maybe something surgical and then pull out, but I, I think it's an all or nothing. Um, and the guys in the Duran who we've talked about before brought up, uh, you know, one good point that this is really, it's, it's signaling at least the end of the, uh, the one world government. I mean, the China and Russia and now apparently India, since we've, we've forced them into the fold too. Yeah. Um, so now we're sanctioning India. Are, are going to form an alliance and, and um, much, you know, I think they've got, I think they've got the edge on the, the European American alliance at this point, as far as taking care of themselves in the long run. Um, so, so because it is really, so this, this, this world war has become a financial world war now. Right. That's exactly where it's all going. You know, yeah. you know, whether or not, you know, because this is really not, you know, they've, they've, things have blown up, you know, people get bent out of shape over the, uh, the, the power plant, you know, and then are there, you know, and the, the State Department is now erasing all um, anything that has anything to do with the, with the bioweapon labs that we have there, which mm. could be anywhere from eight to a dozen, I've heard. You know, and this is all again, as you, you discussed. Uh, and by the way, we, we thoroughly enjoyed the fact that, you know, you went after trying to find somebody there to actually. Oh, that was to. wonderful. So that was great. It was great that you did that and, and stuck to it until you finally, you know, you know, got something. That was great. Yeah. Good. Good. on well, you, Robert. Good job. Well, it, you know, I'm, I'm blessed with a pretty wide network of people mm -hmm. who uh, watch the show and I've done. Uh, readings for so Luba was uh, somebody who watched the show quite a bit okay. uh, still does and she was I think I did one reading for one session for her and um, she just jumped in right like okay well here we go now now we have somebody who can uh, translate and 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 after the second day where we didn't have a whole lot That's of great. Uh, luck, you know, she took the initiative to go find some people. There was actually another person that she had also that we, that we could have spoken with. And yeah, it's, it's like, I, I feel like if, if, you know, if we're going to have a real discussion about this thing, well, it probably helps us to at least talk to somebody who's there mm -hmm. because Excellent. there's not a lot of that going on or, you, you know, if it is, we're getting the, the, the CNN canned version of it. Um, sort of the yeah, man with, on the street and with model. Old images and you just never know what they're showing. That's they're the other thing so too. I mean, you, you, I saw this one image where they supposedly had blown something up in Ukraine, but it was actually from one of the older Balkan wars. Right. And what they did is they flipped it around, but it's the same image. I mean, they do stuff like this, right? And, and this is really this is a very difficult thing for us to wrap our heads and arms around right now, because there used to be so-called real events. And then we figured out, well, that's not really a real event. This is like a psychological operation. We're watching something here. It's not like that's, it, been, yeah. that's been produced. Right. Mm -hmm. But now we're in this, and I've had this discussion with Emily. Now we're in this weird place where it's real and it's not real. Mm -hmm. So they don't, so it's very hard to get a handle on whatever so-called reality we're, we're trying to, you know, 
have our two feet on, right? Well, our, isn't that classic MK Ultra? Yeah. Well, I mean, it, they can move the narrative any way they want. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I they can firm ground. They could they can go in any direct. Again, I don't really know who Putin is, and anybody who thinks they do know who Putin is, I think you should really rethink that. Mm -hmm. Whatever, if you think Putin's the next Hitler. You should probably rethink that because there's probably a lot of marketing, obviously, that's going around and propaganda's coming around. If you think Hitler is the savior of the West and he's going to free us up from the clutches mm -hmm. of Klaus Schwab, you may want to rethink that too because mm -hmm. there's pictures of him hanging out with Klaus Schwab and doing. The and he was in the the youth group. I I can never lock in the name of the group. Um, and that's what yeah, the, look, young global leaders young global right? leaders yeah, yeah so any if you think you know who he is and what his mission is you probably really don't mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And if you think you know what's going on on either side you probably really don't because somewhere in between the flipped photos and the 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 psychological operations and the false flagging that's going there's probably real shit going on at the same time, yeah. right? And and if you are just looking at the real shit, then you're not looking at the other stuff, which is going on too. So they've kind of mastered this game now where you really don't know kind of where you stand in the midst of any of this. It can turn it up. I mean, that goes right back to the State of the Union. All mm -hmm. of a sudden, Joe Biden's Donald Trump and talking about the Constitution and talking about you know, building things here in America from the middle and from the bottom and the middle up. I mean, and then the USA, USA chant, which erupts, it's all canned. But again, it's like, okay, what timeline are we in? Is this right. the Biden timeline? Right. Is this the Trump timeline? Because he's done everything antithetical to that since, since he's been the, Absolutely. the cadre is, around him. Right. I don't, him, I don't give him, I give him zero credit, you know? Well, I yeah. do too. But some people will buy it, right? Oh, oh, sure. And then all of a sudden, you'll get you'll you'll get these Democrats who who have tapped into all this, you know, identity politics and all the, you know all the bullshit that we know that they've been pulling for a while. And now they're going to have to move, you know, slightly more to the right of that. If this is going to be their message from here on out till November, it's going to fry their brains. Right. Well, that's the wartime stance, you know. You know, and, and I, sorry, you're going to say something? Oh, I'm sorry, I can hold it. Okay, I was just going to say, you know, and I always look at these, like, you know, the Ukrainian people who are, you know, justifiably freaking out, I think. Um, you know, even if, even if I, as much as I dislike the current regime in Washington or wherever they are, um, you know, if, 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 an, if the Chinese Communist Army came across the border, and you know, and, and took over DC to get that regime that I dislike out. I'm still gonna still be thinking, it. you know, get these fuckers out of here. You know, I think that's a great point, and that's exactly what she, this young woman who we had on the show, mm -hmm. that's what she was saying. And the thing for me that was the most important takeaway from that interview was that in a time of crisis and war and uh, dealing with the destruction of one's everyday life, the 40,000 foot political view is a luxury. And, you know, mm -hmm. you're just figuring it's, it's out, immediate, you know, yeah. uh, Peter Lambon Wilson calls it immediatism. You know, you, you have to be in the immediate, you live in a, in a sphere of immediatism. <laughs> yeah, right. Go ahead. Did you hold it? Um, New book. 
immediately what's in your your immediate proximity that's right. your life and yeah yogically speaking that's that's all there is is right. your immediate it, it, life and and i thought about it let's say there's somebody in close proximity to this woman who does have the 40,000 foot political view and they come in with a 40,000 foot political view and says yeah but zelensky this and vicky newland that and euromaiden and you know the all the trafficking What's going to happen to that person? They're going to stick out. They're probably not going to have a whole lot of other people that are going to have their position. And then what? They're going to become alienated. They're not going to get resources. They're not going to get food, right? So what happens is, is that the tribe, you know, essentially organizes around one idea and one principle, which is going to be survival. Mm-hmm. And if you're having some kind of an abstract relationship with that and trying to speak truth to power in a survival moment, what are they going to do? They're going to say, get the fuck out of here. You're, you're, I'm getting you're an gonna... image of um, bifocals that, that what's needed is metaphorically is a set of political and spiritual hmm. bifocals where you're not locked into, oh, la, 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 la. I don't hear what's going hmm. on out there. I'm going to live in the moment. Great. That's great. So when in the moment, when the Chinese troops are banging down your door, you know, you haven't prepared because oh, well, I didn't see anything coming. I think bifocals of some nature are going to be helpful and Long useful. And short view. Yeah, you, mm. you can't have so, one view over the other. So my, again, I'm no expert on Ukraine. I've tried to study as much as I can, but it seems to me like ever since 1994, there was a great deal of instability there. And then in 2014, that instability really gets ramped up. And then you have all these things going on in the Donbass region where you have these Azov, uh, you know, Nazis, these Azov Nazis who are the weirdest fucking thing I've ever come across, Mm -hmm. right? They, they self-style themselves around the, the German Nazi model, but they denounce everything that the Germans did to the Jews during the Holocaust. It's like, okay, so you're going to take, yeah, you're going to, you're going to, yeah, you're going to, you're going to take all the brand. Maybe it's politically you're gonna, correct. <laughs> you're going to take all the brand, but you're 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 gonna not going to take all the heat with the brand. And there's no pun intended there. Trust mm-hmm. me on that. So, but that's what they did. So, who's really behind these Azov Nazis? That's the big question, right. because they seem to be uh, Nazis and fascists only by some kind of uh, either racial or or nationalist kind of. Maybe it's like a Venn diagram. They have the, mm. but the over, they're in the overlap. So to me, they're they're um, they're kind of like the nationalist ethnic version of Antifa. That's what they seem like to me. Yeah. So anyway, yeah, and- there, there's all that there's all that going on, right? So there's all this destabilization happening, and how can how can a country get a larger view and perspective as they're just trying to live a normal life, trying to get, have a job, have a family, have kids, find some measure of enjoyment out of their lives. How can they do that when there's a constant state of destabilization going on mm-hmm. and they, and they can't even climb up, you know, Maslow's pyramid to look down and say, you know, this is fucked up, you know, this is going on and this is going, and some of that happens. Don't get me wrong. I mean, the Russians who were part of the Soviet Union for a long time knew 
that anytime you watch news, they were lying. So they, 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 they had an understanding of that. Mm-hmm. But it's hard, I think, when there is that level of destabilization to have these kinds of ideas that we talk about with, you know, the trafficking and the bioweapons labs and all, you know, all that stuff. And, and Zelensky, who is much more of a strong man than people understand, shutting down any kind of opposition, right? I almost sent you a video of him. Did you see this video from when he was in his boy band? Yeah, I played it. You did. Okay. Yeah. So you, you yeah. I, pl- I played it. Yeah. I okay. mean, he's wearing, he's wearing high heels and all that. Yeah. High yeah. heels and the leather. And yeah. The- yeah. Okay. So he's an act. We know he's an actor. I, I guess what I'm saying is, is like, it's hard, I think, for people to have a m- much more objective um, 30,000 foot view in what's happening with their country when there is always some form of destabilization because they're always reacting to whatever is being destabilized and just trying to hold on and have a normal life. Mm -hmm. And that's, what's going on here. That is going on here. Mm -hmm. We are having our own version of destabilization. That's why I go back to the MK ultra model because it's constantly keeping the person off their base. That's right. Constantly keeping them in a state of anxiety, high tension, high fear, and then you, you can control them. You can implant whatever model you want. You right. split the mind. You split the psyche. Right. They don't know which way is up, which way right. is down. Right. That's MK Ultra. Right. And right. we've just had a big MK Ultra okay. exercise. I've called yeah. it the Janus ritual with the mask and everything. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And exactly. what happens now? They take the mask off and guess what? Biden is a Kennedy Democrat all over again, right? That's 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 the MK Ultra mind control mm-hmm. trick. The gaslighting. Mm-hmm. It's the gaslighting. So we're in very interesting times. Yeah. And um, and I was going to want to add one more thing about Ukraine because and and this fits into that because because they've been traumatized as a traumatized mm-hmm. country, you mm-hmm. know, since World War II. I mean, you know, all the I can imagine the, the heavy fighting and the death toll. You know, because that's that was the the Eastern Front, um, yep. uh, and you know we have um, a friend, uh, you know, who actually can't talk about this any of this stuff with him uh, anymore, um, unfortunately. But his father, who was in his, his mid nineties, was actually uh, a captured soldier, Ukrainian Ukrainian soldier, and so he was in the German POW camps. And um, after the after the liberation, uh, the war was over. He had to actually walk back to uh, to Ukraine from Germany, and 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 unfortunately, this guy was, you know, a mess on on some very on a couple of un, very unsavory le- levels, and this guy was just just a mess, you know. But here he is, ninety five years old. God bless him. He's still he's still he's still alive as is his wife they're both around the same age so anyway you know just just thinking how traumatized and what it would have what a mess and and what he turned into um is you know writ large across that country from all that trauma and then now it really hasn't stopped they really haven't really settled i don't think since no not no not at all i mean once once the the wall fell uh 1991 uh, 94, I believe, if I'm not mistaken, Ukraine has its theoretical own state, although there are some documents out there that claim that 
there is no such thing as an independent Ukraine, that it still belongs to the former He's Soviet right, I've Union. I've heard that too. Which I don't know if that's true or not, but again, with this Well, world, something about saying, I think we heard that with the Duran, um, the Alexanders were talking about it, that they never actually signed right. the, the documents. Right. So technically. Right. And then they, had, then they have this color revolution there, which that's, um, that's they, they were. You, How could you not sign your documents? Well, I, does that I think that there's there's probably it's a setup. There's no Soviet Union to sign them to anyway. So 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 then they have this color revolution, which is orchestrated by uh, George Soros. Of course, Gene Sharp is the architect of all these color revolutions, and uh, they just run one. Where what was it? Uh, Serbia. Serbia was they ran a very successful. It was the first one right. where they ran the color revolution. Yeah, I think they and tried the, uh, Kazakhstan recently too. Yeah. Yeah, the group that started this was a group called Otpor. Mm -hmm. And, and uh, one of the main players is this guy, Sergei Popovic. And he is a disciple of Gene Sharp. So uh, his role in that in that revolution was, was considerable. And so they used that template moving forward for all these other color revolutions. And then they, they attempted to do the same thing in Ukraine. And I think they were, I'm not sure if they were completely successful because eventually uh, Yanushenkov comes in, right? That guy comes in and he's, he's, a, he's a Putinesca. Um, and <laughs> you know, that's an Italian dish, right? I know it is. Yeah. It's the sauce of the sauce of the whore, right? That's right. Yeah. Yeah. So he's he's a he's a he's a Putinesca, uh, and and he's got his own issues. He's on the, on the corrupt side, but he's moving away from the EU, and then he's like, "No, I'm not sure about this," and he's thinking about forming this this bond with Russia, and then all of a sudden, they have another color revolution, and that's going to be run by Vicky Newland and the Obama administration, and that's kind of what starts everything off and splits Ukraine is, is that moment in time. So they've, they've had, you know, since the so-called fall, they've had nothing but destabilization in that area. And they have such a beautiful right. culture. They're, oh God, their folk culture is so focused on beauty. Yeah. Have you ever seen any of the folk costumes that the women? Yeah, yeah, we, oh we've passed God. a few of those pictures around with the big headdresses yes. and everything yeah. with the flowers. Yeah, what beautiful, absolutely oh, and beautiful. There was, and there was this woman who was their prime minister, and she about was ten years ago, was it? When I first laid eyes on her, like, she looked like a living goddess. She, she was right. stunningly beautiful. I can't remember. She got she got ousted. She got ousted, and then they threw her in. By Yanukovych, Yanukovych yeah. uh, ousted her, and and she um, yeah, and she. And she somehow she suffered terribly because when she came out of prison, she, she did not like look a broken the same. person. No. She she was she was she was wrecked. She yeah. really was. Yep. So I don't know what they did to her, but she because Yanukovych was out of power for a while, and then he came back in again, mm -hmm. and they had an election, and it was deemed that it was a uh, an election that was uh, rigged, right? And so all of a sudden they've got to overturn the results. But who's overturning the results? The United States mostly. So is that interesting? We have no problem getting involved in another country's oh. theoretical bad election in overturning the results of that election. 
uh, Dante says in his books that there is a special place in hell reserved for hypocrites. What? Second um, level. So let's let's uh, let's let's pivot on hell and mm. let's get into Malachi okay. Martin. Okay. Now, now I did, did. I sent you that video. Did you get that video? Did you watch yes, any of that did. video? Yeah, I watched twenty minutes, and and yeah, after twenty minutes, they still hadn't really said anything. Except yeah, so you have to, you have to get further into it, right, and well, we have time for that. Yeah, so I now to be fair, I just wanted to send you that video because they are really granular. Like both of those guys are heavy Catholics, mm -hmm. and once you get past the, you know, the MMA story with the guy with the face tattoo, they actually get into a very detailed and lengthy historical discussion about Malachi Martin, which is interesting when you get the time. Yes, you I'm interested to watch it. Yeah, you I'd should like watch it because he is really. I know he's a shapeshifter. This guy is I'm a shapeshifter. Yeah, he, and he's able to reinvent himself all these different stages along. Well, the just way. look at him. You know. Yeah. He's, you know, he's a bit so, of a palaverer, as they would say in Ireland. He's a palaverer. You know, he was he, very, very good with. Uh, the gift of gab and it seems like he was very good at leveraging relationships that that is one of no his doubt. I think, and he was a jesuit and he's a jesuit and that's yeah now what's interesting about these guys is that when they talk about the jesuits they don't they don't they don't they don't have to like you know cover their mouth when they're saying it i don't i don't think they see i could be wrong but i don't think they see the role of the jesuits in, in terms of world power and structure that maybe that we would see it because it doesn't come across that way, at least not in the early part of this video. Mm -hmm. um, so I don't, so I don't think that they are as conspiracy. They don't, these guys don't come off as being conspiratorial at all. What they come across as being as like, you know, very orthodox, young, smart, kind of hip Catholics. They got the and, feeling like intellectually curious. Very intellectually curious, but it was fascinating. Like they know about a lot about Catholicism and the orthodoxy of Catholicism. But then when they started to talk about his appearance on Art Bell, they immediately started to slam Art Bell. And Art Bell is easy to slam, but mm -hmm. they started to slam him because of the subjects that Art Bell covered. And they were snickering at things like cryptozoology. I'm like, well, oh, really? you guys are, yeah, you guys <laughs> you are really good. Guys. Like you're really good when you're in your lane. When you get out of your lane, right? Like <clears throat> your 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 soft white underbelly is showing here. Yeah, yeah. So you have to take some of what they say with a grain of salt because they're not going to get out of their lane. But when they're in their lane, they know their subject matter really well. Yeah, maybe right. they just haven't been exposed well, to it yet. And you know, well, it's outside their orthodoxy though. They're not yeah. going to, right? I mean, yeah. that's the thing about Catholicism that I've I'm not a Catholic. But I got I kind of found this when I started to get into E. Michael Jones's world a little bit. And there'd be all these debates about some article or some other like Catholic scholar or bishop or priest. Like they they go into these kind of you know Manichaean sort of, you know, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Like you know, uh, Franciscan, not even Franciscan, Dominican kind of debates. Like they use that, that kind of, you know, early church mind. They're trying, debates. Yeah. They're, they're trying to, you know, understand God through this, you know, rational process, oh. right? 
that's what they, you know, that's where they go. And so oh. it all, it all becomes this yeah. kind of interpretation and like, like turf war over church doctrine and not even the Bible, right? It's not even the Bible. It's how somebody inside of the Catholic church historically is interpreting something. It's really weird. Like, like you don't see Christians do that. They just, they don't do that. The Christians lean more heavily on the Bible. Like here, here it is right here. Yeah. Yeah. And the Catholics are like, no, no, we've got all this history where we have these popes and we have all these historical figures who are commenting upon commentaries upon commentaries. And for me, like being on the outside and looking at that stuff, I'm like, you guys are in the weeds here. Like you're really in the weeds trying to untangle who's got the the truth and the authority based on some orthodox commentary that might have happened in the Sounds 17th like it's century. Entering into a world of legality well, it's, it's, and legal language yeah. rather than spirit. Do you know what I'm saying though? Have you encountered that well, in back that to world? Council of Nicaea? That you yeah. know, the Council of Nicaea, for example, reincarnation. They spent days arguing over reincarnation because reincarnation was part of Greek culture and Christianity is more, more a Greek religion um, than it is, uh, you know, Hebraic religion, you know, as it, as it emerged. And so that was one of the things, you know, and of course, they, they, and, and this is what um, they did, or they talked about, right, well, if Jesus is God and man, well, how does that, how does that work out, right, you know? Um, because then if he was if he's purely God, well then he couldn't have died on the cross. But then again, if he wasn't man, then the whole crucifixion and resurrection is meaningless. You know, and so they just argue these things endlessly. And the people who lost the arguments, like the Nestorians and um and other other branches of Christianity, a lot of um, you know, what became or what are now called Gnostics, you know, they lost. And, uh, and were, um, you know, the books were burned, thus the Nag Hammadi library was, you know, was all from around 350, you know, so it was after the Council of Nicaea when they developed the actual canon, four gospels, letters of Paul and um, the book of Revelations uh, and the Acts of the Apostles. So, you know, so that they made the canon. Um, so, yeah, so, so that's in the tradition. You know, and then and then we right. don't know these people because because of what are called the heresiologists, Arrhenius, and um, uh, I forget the names of a bunch of the others, right? And they are all writing against the all these other subgroups to refute them, and that's how and that's how we knew about them until the Nag Hammadi Library was discovered in 1945, concomitant with the first atomic blasts. Of course, very mm-hmm. interesting, you know. So so, Steve, so yes, Steve, that's part of the tradition. So you were raised Catholic, right? I'm, I'm assuming. So I was I was raised a Catholic. I left fairly early on, but there was a, you know, I, I grew up in sort of you know Ozone Park, Queens, which was a, a, a very nice, protected uh, kind of mafia town. And apparently, the mafia donated a lot of marble to build this really nice church in our town um, because it was actually a really gorgeous church. <laughs> and our Monsignor. His name was Monsignor Testagrossa, <laughs> which means big balls. <laughs> uh, so that's, that's funny. Uh, and 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 I probably told you. And the head of the the the, the grammar school I went to, uh, she eventually became the head, but she was my eighth grade teacher. Um, was Joe Tory's sister? So. Um, oh, interesting. 
So, uh, you know, so who did not like being called Sister One degree Joe, of separation. Sister, yeah, Sister Marguerite, um, who's still, I think, around. Anyway, yeah, so I grew up and then I just kind of, the hypocrisy of the church. Uh, um, but I say Chris was singing like the, the, the Latin mass in the choir. Meanwhile, I kind of like the Hootenanny mass for a while yeah. because at least because I like to sing at that point in my life. So, so Chris, were you raised Catholic? Yes, I was. Okay, and so my you, great you, ambition was to join the convent. I absolutely had my, my cap set to join the convent until I was about 16. Then I started to say, hold on a minute. They lied to me. And I just saw everything as a big lie. Fairy tales and lies. And I, that's when I stopped going to church at 16. And uh, fell into like... Um, sort of an agnostic period. And then I went into an atheistic period. And then I found Gurdjieff and I started to read his work. And there was one sentence in one of his books where he said, respect all religions. And there was something about that sentence that was compelling and, and spoke to me. And I started to soften a bit. And I started to look around and ask questions and pursue a more uh, what we would call today a spiritual path not attached to any set dogma or any any organized religion i see organized religion as hugely problematic um so that that was my trajectory and interesting uh, but up until about 10 years ago i was still dreaming about nuns i would dream about them all the time they always showed up in my dreams uh, it made a deep, deep, deep impression on me when I went to Catholic school in the first grade and fell in love with Sister Mary Roberts. She was just, and Sister Mary Angela was an angel. She was amazing. The kindness and compassion that that woman just exuded was such a model that you wanted to be that. You wanted, oh, wow, what a great human being. Mm -hmm. So it's really right. heartbreaking <clears throat> to see what's happened to the church. It's just, and, and I'm absolutely disgusted yeah. when I see what they, what's happened. So in his book, A Windswept House, not a wind, it's Windswept House. I was listening to Art Bell several, about, gosh, it must be like four or five years ago now. And yeah, I came across it like in the sidebar on YouTube. I was like, oh, that looks interesting. What's that all about? And I was riveted. And of course, when I hear the Irish brogue, then I'm sucked in even more. And he's great. He can spin a great tale. And um, so I was really interested about the exorcisms. Like, wow, he's talking about these exorcisms. Holy smokes, this is like a real thing. So I ordered that book. But apparently that's, that interview took place when Windswept House came out. And apparently he was being interviewed for the publication of that book. I think it was about a three hour interview. And by the time I came out of it, I was like, I need to know more about his writings. Right. So I ordered it thinking I was gonna get something about the exorcisms and I was a little disappointed. But as I was reading it, oh, this is totally different, but this feels very important because what he's talking about is the inner workings of the Catholic Church and how it was infiltrated. And you know, when you say granular, he gets granular. And it's obvious that this is a historic novel, that these are people who 
really were doing this and he just changed the names. And so that's maybe, you know, we could share that list that I sent to you, um, who's who sure. of sure. Maliki Martin's Windswept House. And there's a list of all the characters in the book and who they are in real life. And then the really, yeah. the really juicy one that we'll want to talk about is, is Cardinal Bernadine. Um, pivotal. Yeah, he's real important. Very important. So did you want to say something? Well, I was just going to say one thing you can, you know, whatever about Malachi Martin, his his writings, and we really only encountered the three books, Windswept House, um, The Jesuits, and uh, Hostage to the Devil, which is about, you know, his, uh, his exorcisms. But he's, he's consistent in his writings about a couple of, of, of certain things. And one is one is the this the, the slow communist takeover of first the Jesuits and now the Catholic Church, um, and his love and and his you know and and you can listen to those talks with the the, the his shows with William Buckley especially one with the <laughs> That's great and you know and and it's it's really interesting because you know two of them are huge intellectuals Buckley's Catholic and Buckley's Catholic. And they both believe in in the in the doctrine, the absurd parts of the doctrine, almost right. because. And they say, well, because it's absurd. That's kind of like uh, the conclusion they come to. You know, if you want to believe in the virgin birth, the transubstantiation, and things like that. So they were both, you know, hardline Catholics. Um, and this was, you know, amidst the takeover of the church through the Jesuits. And through most starting in South America with the liberation theology. And so, you know, so his writing is pretty consistent that whenever he left the Jesuits, it was it was because he didn't want to be part of what they were doing anymore, maybe. And and I guess left the priesthood. I don't know if he left it at the same time. I really don't know. But anyway, so I, I don't know. I thought that would be an introduction to get to where, where, where Chris wanted to talk about. Yeah, there are so many parts to this that are all important and you know, it, there's a fascination about it all, a heartbreak overarching about it. Who's written a half dozen books on oh. Christian and Catholic. <laughs> oh, a visitation. It's, really it's the ghost. Yeah, of so I was, just, I was just trying to line up like some <laughs> Buckley that? stuff here because because he has this show uh, and Martin's on it. And I just wanted to see. I think that's him. You know, Isn't that it. him? I can't see I it. See it. I you just, still have okay. the list up. Okay, why don't you start going through that list, um, and and I'm going to well, try to well, try to me, find. Me, we'll bounce off that later. But that would really be like I'd get bogged down if I tried to do that. That's okay. more. I wanted to share that for the people who expressed last month that they're reading Malachi's oh, book. It was, a, it was a Wendy, right? The yeah, there were several. Yeah, there were several people who were who were actually sent us emails and said, "Well, oh, we're we're reading the book right now." So. I thought that would be great that this would help them understand um, who these people are in, in the real world. But um, so as I'm reading the book, I'm getting a deeper appreciation for the insidious infiltration of Marxism into the church and, and how it was down to the level of capillary. It was everywhere absolutely everywhere and Vatican II in 1963 Five, three. Three, I think changed everything it was it was yep. oceanic 
what it did to the church. It eviscerated the church. That was the mm -hmm. end. Forget it. After that, it was all over. Right. They took they they took Latin out of the mass. Right. That was the they big. They took the big, Latin big... out of the mass. To me, the heartbreak was to see the nuns go out of their habits because that is is extremely important. You look at the habits and you think, oh, they're medieval. Well, when we were taking geometry classes with Keith Critchlow for the sacred geometry, he made a statement about native people wearing their cosmology. So native garb comes out of a knowing. It's not just decoration, it's not fashion, obviously. What it is, is an expression of their interaction and understanding and knowledge of the sacred and, and how it, they interact with the sacred in their life, how it affects them. And right. so yeah, I apply yeah, right, that exactly. to, the, to the priestly robes and the nuns' habits. So those habits that the nuns wore, that was them wearing their cosmology. So when you take that away, it's like taking the language away from the Native American people and forcing them to speak English. Everything collapses when you do that. And, and that was the first thing in my young life that I looked and saw that's wrong. This just, I didn't know why it was wrong, but I looked at it and every time I saw a nun wearing those stupid modified habits, my heart would sink a little bit. There was something just wrong about it. So, you know, you know I, it's, real, you know, it's really interesting. I, I want to chime in here is I think it's right on the heels of Vatican II, which ends, by the way, in uh, 1965, starts in uh, October of 62, oh, good. And, oh, ends cool. it, good. and it ends in 1965, right? So then what do we have on TV kind of on the heels of that and, and pretty much talking about what you're talking about is the modification of the habits and everything. In 1967, oh, just yeah. two years after that, we have the flying nun. Flying nun. Oh God! With Sally Field, right, Inane. wearing the mo modified habit, which allows her to fly on the gusty winds. Oh, that wasn't a modified one. That that was a traditional one. So that's the French. So I the see. French nuns wore those habits with the wings. You know, yes. Yeah, so that allowed headdress. her to fly around. That's interesting. Mm -hmm. Right. So it's it's so a it mockery. It wasn't completely modified. That's a mockery what they did there. With the flying right? nun. Yes. Yes. Yeah. That was just a well, mockery. yeah. So, so, and then she was always having this weird kind she of. Was a, she was an airhead. She was a bubblehead. She was. Just, she was having this weird kind of romantic tension with uh, what's that guy's name? Um, oh, there was a priest. Yeah, I can see him. No, he wasn't a. He wasn't a priest. He was. He was. He was. He was, he was like a businessman in in the. In Puerto Rico, Sally's name, right? Southfield. Uh, yeah, it's, it's Alejandro Ray is the guy. Alejandro Ray, that's right. Yeah, yeah, he's the guy. Alejandro Ray actually shows up briefly in that Synanon movie as well, but I that uh, I talked about anyway. Yeah, so you have Sally Field showing up as the flying nun because they're that's they're they're pop they're popifying the Catholic Church. Yes. Right. right. And yes. this and this is all in the in the post Kennedy transition into the Beatles era, and you know all the Tavistockian stuff that that fell God is dead. On that. God is dead. We're bigger yeah. than Jesus. Yeah, right? all of it came together at the same time, like a vice grip around the neck of of the human beings. Mm -hmm. And I was going to mention two other things that came with Vatican II that seemed to be important um, to traditional Catholics. One is that the priests began 
to say the mass facing the congregation as opposed to uh, on the altar with his back to the congregation. Um, and because, because, you know, in a lot of ways, the Catholic mass is, is, you know, it's a mystery. It's, it's a, it's a long, it is a mystery. Long, it's not right, in a lot of mystery. ways. It is a mystery, is mystery to the Catholics. And it's also part of the ancient mystery tradition. It's the yeah. same right. thing. It's this, is this, is this sacramental, it's the sacrifice of the God, right? Which is what, you yeah. know, core of what I'm writing about. And the other thing was that also there, it started this thing. So you, and when we first were in the church, you weren't allowed to touch the Eucharist. I mean, because it was so fucking holy that, you know, you you, you just felt like you would just like eat burned, you know, if, if it dropped. That was my, you know, as, as you know, as, a, as an eight-year-old or something like that, when, you know, I, my, my memories, I, you know, I vaguely remember the mass in Latin. Um, you know, were you an altar boy, now, Steve? Were you, were you an altar boy, Steve? No, I, I, had an, I had some kind of intuition to know better than to do that. <laughs> Plus, plus those altar boy outfits—they were so faggy. Um, yeah. <laughs> but, but, but they must have looked good to some of the priests, which yeah, is I'm something sure we have to get into yeah. with, with, um, with our with our cardinal um, Bernadine. Um, Bernadine at some point. Um, so anyway, so you know, so now it was it was put in your hand and then you put it in your mouth, right? So it was you know, which doesn't seem like a big thing, but it really. Um, it really cuts down on on the whole idea of, of that this is this is a mystery mm -hmm. and, and 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 focuses on well we are just you know we're just having a meal together kind of thing and at the same time the uglification of the church so when we were growing up the, the church I went to my grandparents my Irish grandparents helped to build and it looked like a beautiful little little jewelry box of a chapel it was so charming and I think all the churches at that time had these, um, it was like a, almost like a lattice work behind the altar. It was, it looked like lace doilies. The, the wood carving was so impeccable. This beautiful white carved backing for the altars. And then on either side, you had the angels in adoration and one pink, one blue. And they had like a, a, almost like a pole lamp, you know, that they were holding a staff with lights on the top and they were kneeling in adoration. And that's what flanked the altar. And then the priest would say his prayers and they had this huge um, contrivance that they held the host in called a monstrance. And it was like the sun. So it would picture an image of the sun, like in metal with all the rays coming out. And then in the middle, there's a round, uh, like frame, glass frame, a little door on it that opens up and it's holding the host in it that the priest uses. And it's much larger than what the congregation gets. You just get a, a smaller version of that, a wafer. But this is about a three inch round, beautiful pressed wafer that they use. And on top is the cross. And so the priest would say his prayers and do the, the Holy of Holies but he had to have his back to the congregation because this was the Holy of Holies. You don't expose it to, to, um, to, the, you know, the ugly eyes. You just, you just never look. Well, you're also God. venerating God. Like you're putting God first, yes. right? You look, you're looking at God. Well, that, you're looking at God, but you can never, you, no one sees God's face and lives. It's mm. a mystery. And that's what was shattered and profaned. 
So they ripped those beautiful altars out. <laughs> hey, little man. That's God's. That's God's face, right? Mm -hmm. That's God's. That's God's face. So mm -hmm. they 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 ripped those beautiful altars out, yeah. and they put in these really ugly modern tables, like with hard angles, no beauty, no soft edges, and they turned it around, and the priest is facing you. So that in itself just completely eviscerates again this yeah. holy of holies, this sanct sancti sanctified action that's taking place. So, so, so let's go through this list. Let's go through this list a bit, a little bit here, since I've had it up for about ten to fifteen minutes now. People probably memorized it. Um, Good. Let's let's go through some of these people. Well, some of these people. Okay. So, well, the first one we're gonna we're gonna skip him because he's a deep dive. And we'll just go to, um, let's just jump down to all the others are kind of just supporting players in the book. Father Damon Slattery is a, is a um, Dominican. He's the head of the Dominicans in, in Rome. And he's just this big burly guy who's very good friends with um, another main figure in the character. The characters here to me are supporting characters and, and aside from the, the whole show. Um, it's not going to mean much to anybody unless they've read the book. But when so let, has, me ask, let, let me ask you a question. So these are uh, real people and then characters in the book. Is that how it? Well, the, the, the first name is characters in the book. Love and then characters. to the right is their their human counterpart. Right. So. Okay. Okay. And I don't know any of those popes' names. I don't know any of those people. Okay. I don't know any of them. But you, these... you, you, you've boldened a couple of these. So these are the ones that, that I feel are important that we would want to know. So especially this Cardinal Bernadine. We'll take mm -hmm. a deep dive into him. He was involved in a parallel mass that took place to dethrone the pope and install lucifer as the head of the church okay? so is, does this take place in the book and is it there takes a place in the book and it's right. and it's apparently it actually took and go ahead what go ahead and it and it and it took place in south carolina in a parallel um ritual so they had this dark ritual where they, the thing is that the globalists who came in to the church and infiltrated the church wanted to decapitate the pope they want that office of the pope to not be the head of the church the pope in the catholic framework is the direct descendant of christ and he's christ's voice on earth to the people so when you hear people say well the pope is infallible when he speaks he's infallible it does not mean across the board on politics or you know anything he's infallible when it comes to doctrine of the church okay so the pope because he is a direct lineage of christ and peter what happens is they want to flip that and take that that lineage away they want to cut off the head of the church and replace it with this satanic luciferic pope a dark pope and they do this by an extremely dark ritual, which they, even as bad as it was in Rome, where they could get away with a lot of dark rituals, 
this was too much. This was just too extreme. And they couldn't do all the components of it in Rome. So they had their ritual in Rome, but then they had to have a parallel ritual and it was held in South Carolina in this, um, what do they call it? Uh, Century City. So this Cardinal of Century City. Charleston. It's in Charleston, okay. Um, there's this man, I guess we're gonna go into him, Cardinal Joseph Bernadin, who is a very sick, twisted individual. And so they have this parallel where they do a sacrifice. They sacrifice a child and an animal. And Steve got well, yeah. Recent. Go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah. So actually, the woman who was who was a young child, she she wasn't killed, but she went before this book came out. She actually, you know, came out um, and said that she was part of this ritual. As a child, as a child in 1957 in Charleston, Carolina, under this this guy who had just become a priest, Joseph Cardinal Bernadin, and eventually becomes Cardinal of uh, of Chicago. Gee, what a great mm -hmm. you know, and, that, and and all the connections you'd expect. So she admits to it. Now uh, in the book, it says it takes place in '63, but um, the actual thing took place in um, in 1957. So and and a sorry to say it, but a, um, a a puppy was killed in order to extract extreme reaction from her, and then she was raped by everyone there. So that was the so that was and she recognized um, this guy Bernadine and and the other uh, priest Russell. who was involved in a guy named Russell. So this is the anti. Uh, this is so these happened. Simultaneously, they had like phone lines open to each other, you know. Mm -hmm. And so, what you know, and and the two rituals, did the two yeah. rituals, and 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 I just read it yesterday, and I'm not going to get into the details of it other than what I said. But it's the it, the details that he that that Malky Martin comes up with to describe this ritual in the novel are either someone who knows this stuff cold or has an unbelievable imagination, you know? So that's, you know, so, so that's, so that, that makes me wonder, well, how does he know this stuff, right? How does he know what's going on in this dark ritual? So that was, that was a, a side question. Um, but I, do you wanna to get to where you're going first rather than getting into Bernadine? Yeah, we'll just, we'll just skate over and then come back to it. And uh, Before you go there, the, the name right under uh, Joseph Cardinal Bernadine is this guy Augustine Cardinal Bia. Mm -hmm. Those that guys in that Bia? those guys in that podcast talk about him extensively. Oh, oh okay. good. Okay. Uh, because I... because he Maliki Martin hitches his wagon to this guy. Ah, so and he's a German Jesuit. He's a German Jesuit who has a love affair with Israel. Mm hmm. And I don't know if you know this about Maliki Martin, but I think he had a degree in archaeology, biblical archaeology. Yeah, yeah. So that's one of the that was one of the um, thing, one of the reasons why he would go to Egypt with this guy, not Egypt, uh, Israel with this guy, because he was into the biblical archaeological aspect of. It. But this this Bia loved rabbis. He loved Israel. He loved Judaism. 
And this is, I think, right around, I don't know, I could be wrong, but probably around the time of Vatican II or post-Vatican II, where they're reshaping their relationship with Judaism and not denouncing them as being involved in the death of Christ, right? So um, he's an interesting character. And if you want to continue your story with Malachi Martin, Spend some time with this guy because he sounds pretty influential in his in his yeah, in his, a, in his so ascent. Many tentacles, you know. There's so many directions you can go to have day long conversations. Well, the thing it. the thing about the, okay, so what struck me about Malachi Martin, based on what you sent me, and just a, a sampling of that interview, is that this dude is really complex. Oh lord, and, and he's living probably double triple lives. Mm-hmm. I can like see he it. was apparently apparently he he was living with this Greek woman. Right. Do you know, do you know that story? That was too? after he left the priesthood. Right. But there was some, there's some evidence that he was with her before he left the priesthood. Well, that's not surprising. Yeah. So, so Martin is this, he's a, he's a very slippery character. And he was also the person who they modeled the movie, the exorcist on because he was an actual exorcist. Well, see, th- this is interesting because these guys, and I'm not saying that that's not true, by the way, but these guys have a different take and their take is that the movie comes out and then all of a sudden he pivots to becoming an exorcist because it's cool and it's marketable. And I'm not sure if that's true or not. Maybe the, the well, maybe reverse is true. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But this is, but, again, you, you get into this gray area with him. And you but I just, tell you it, what, if you read hostage to the devil, <laughs> you're going to say, no, not up for you're going to say, he knew what he was talking well, about. I'm sure he did. I mean, this is an interesting, <laughs> uh, he's a very interesting person. Yeah, and and if, hostage, you're, it, it, if you're a Catholic, you probably walk away scratching your head going, I don't know about this guy. Well, it's very interesting. You know, these, um, these very complex people who come into play on the, on the world theater, they all seem to be unlike Biden, who is monochromatic. They're all polychromes. They have these like amazing different complexities that they bring to the table, which is what makes them interesting and a fascination. And can you actually ever know or scratch the surface enough to know what is, again, what's true? Well, again, and even with these guys who I'm talking about and their their so-called orthodox lens and with all the um, kind of microanalysis that they have in terms of martin and catholic doctrine they still can't quite figure him out right yeah i'm not and surprised they're, and, they're, and because because they're orthodox they're going to lean more into he's really an imposter or he's not who he says he is or we can't trust him because of the other stuff the art bell stuff and 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 these books so uh, even even a, and the, and they put in a lot of time and research on trying to figure him out they still can't come up with a hard and fast conclusion, but they're just going to lean into the more orthodox version of who But he isn't wasn't. it interesting to get that perspective as well? So you get, you listen, I like to just say, okay, let me listen to what they have to say. Let's mm-hmm. listen to what this person has to say. And right. when you don't shut out conversation, then you have the possibility of getting more of a whole accurate picture you're never going to get 100 percent on anybody but right yeah let's listen to what they have to say because they bring uh, it sounds like they bring a lot to the table 
They, they do. I'll put a link. I'll put it when we when we finish mm -hmm. the show. I'll put a link into that video. Uh, okay. And at this and at the same time, you know, how is how is Martin going to get into these places and spaces with some of these uh, church leaders and and? Well, because the, he actually was very close to the Pope. Well, I get that, but he but was up he, close in the in the Vatican. What what I, what I'm trying to get at is is that you can't necessarily get into that world and not be able to shapeshift mm -hmm, and, mm -hmm. and move amongst the hierarchies in that world who have- I think that's what Steve was alluding yeah, to. it's Byzantium. Very, yeah, yeah, very different points of view, right? Malachi Barton mm -hmm. seems to be able to yeah. like move with the times, move with- uh, yeah. he's, he's an, And then he's also- and Steve, you're you well, both of you, you would be the two people who because I haven't read these books, but you'd be two people that I would um ask about his writing. I'm assuming he's a pretty good writer, oh, too. He's brilliant. He's, yeah. Just nobody can do character he, development like him. It Robert, read the books. He's brilliant as a writer. Go ahead. Yeah, no, no, he's a very good writer. He knows, you know, uh, yeah, I was about to say he, he builds characters, he draws pictures. He's definitely come, you know, comes out of the, you know, the great Irish tradition. Yeah. Of, oh, uh, of you know, taking, of uh, taking the foreign language that was imposed on him and doing better than any of the English people could do. Yeah. When he when he describes, you know, Father Slattery or Christian Christian Gladstone, you are inside the person's head. You he's, he'll spend pages. Right. You know, just developing the character, and it's like, okay, 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 to, yeah. let's. All right, that's enough. To you the know. point where you're saying, all right, well, you know, how can you know so much about this person? Yeah, you know, I did. I only he wrote. You know, anyway, um, both books are really worth reading. But, They're worth your time. But I really think um, before we get too far afield, because this is this this is like the main thing you wanted to bring to the table, right? So right. I really want to get to Chris's main. We haven't even touched point, on my main because. My, and I'll introduce it, I guess, as best as I can, because Chris. So before we before we go there, just right. let's just these two other okay. highlighted. All right. So our windswept house, here. Galveston, Texas, is where is the the like the ancestral home of this priest, who ends who is a very traditional priest, and in the book his name is Christian Gladstone, and it says at the top that he's like a composite of three priests that he knew, and he's a young man who has been reared in, in very traditional Catholic ways and was came up through what they call the Tridentine Mass, which was the based on the Rome, the original Roman Mass that was said that developed very early on in the church and which was abandoned by the globalists or just eviscerated. So um, Windswept House is an actual place in Texas on Galveston Island, and you may know somewhere where that is. I have no idea where Galveston is in Texas, but oh it's God. an actual place. And Christian Gladstone's mother was extremely wealthy and she propped up the church when, when their bank was in big trouble and she would donate millions and millions and millions of dollars when they needed help. But she was a traditionalist and was very deeply concerned about what was happening in the church and doing her level best to counter it. Her son ends up going to Rome 
and playing a very influential part in the book. And so I imagine in the whole story in, in real life. Um, then we skip down to, I just highlighted Schwab because that's you know the burning issue of the day is what's going on with Mr. Klaus Schwab as, and he shows up as Jacques Deneuve as a banker and the World Trade Organization. Um, yeah, yeah, right, Jacques of the, of the new, so new world order, right? Oh, very good, right. very good. Um, yeah, is, he, is, he a, is he a Jacobin? A Jacobin? Jacobites, I got a story about Jacobites in Turkey, but that's, that's probably that's, too far along. So I just right. thought, that I mainly put that in for the people who are reading the book, and I thought they'd be excited to find that little so Like a little uh, skeleton key. key. That, yeah, that's it's cool. really, really helpful. Right. Um, so um, what, what Chris reading the book, so, you know, all right, so the, most of the main themes of, of Malachi Martin's writings are about how the Jesuits got infiltrated by the, by the communists, liberation theor theology, um, and, you know, so you can see that takeover as a, as a precursor practice run or however you want to do it of, of what has been going on, you know, with us in our country for, for a while. And through that lens, she started finding a lot of parallels in Windswept House to what happened to the Pope, to what Donald Trump went through, you know. And again, the Pope is a complex character. This is this the, the Pope that 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 they're talking about in there. They call him the Slavic Pope, which is who's John Paul II, right? Who was um, who was from Poland. You know, and then and so you know, can see he has this complex relationship with communism, especially before the fall uh, in Poland, because you know he's, um, you know he's got um, solidarity in Poland there, and, and he can't he can't be really hardline anti-communist because he doesn't want Russia coming in and crushing them. Um, you know, so 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 he's got a you know he's so walking he's, a fine line. He's got a difficulty in in coming down against it. So the Jesuits, of course, and especially in South America, Central America, uh, take advantage of this. And and you have to understand also the context. The Jesuits were formed by Saint Ignatius of Loyola mm. to be in absolute obedience to the Pope and, and to be that an is, army for the Pope. That is the be all and end all of the foundation of of the Jesuits. They are there to support the Pope, whatever the Pope says. That is in their charter. So this is why Malachi Martin leaves the Jesuits, because he sees they're all questioning the Pope, going along with Vatican II, questioning uh, Christian doctrine, all that sort of stuff, you know, in order. So and like you said, um, I forget what you said before, Robert, about about facing the people now in the mass, because now the 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 Marxists want bring in liberation theology, and it's called the people's mass now. It's not the mass of, of the Catholic church, right? And so this is, and then of course, the bishops, the Jesuit uh, bishops end up being, you know, part of, for example, the, uh, you know, the uh, a part of the government really in uh, Nicaragua after, yeah. after they take yeah. over. But this, is, you know? this is also where language so, is so important because words really carry, they create worlds. And so their use of the language, like you're saying, the people's church now, instead of God's church and, and the Holy Father is now just the Pope. Go ahead. Finish right. Yeah. Red. So I think that's it. I just was trying to introduce. So if you want to get into, you know, the things that you found or yeah, whatever you want to do. Because I'm also you know, really you know what's, do you know what's really interesting is that um, as 
we could see the rise of uh, liberation theology uh, back, I would say, what was that, like the late 70s, early 80s, right, right. around there. So there, there was a, a movie that came out right around that time called The Mission. Yeah. Oh, Did you ever see the, what saw a movie. that movie. What, what a, a movie. great movie. But, yeah. the, but in, a, in a weird way, what that's doing is it's making a retrocausal case for, for liberation theology. Hmm. Hmm. Because the Jeremy Irons character gets, he, get, he gets martyred in the end, right? Yes, he does. Yes, he he does. gets martyred in the end. And, and, and it's happening right around that same time. And it ha- it's also happening where in South America, right? It's where it takes place. Yes. Yes. So, yeah. so it's, it's this retrocausal, um, um, you know, morality tale which ultimately I think is in support of liberation theology. And then mm, yes. there was that other movie that was going on. that was playing right around the same time. Forget the name of it, but Raul Julia played a father, a Catholic father who was a liberation theologist. Do you remember that movie? Hmm. No. Mm-mm. So, I mean, uh, here, so let me, let me see if I can find it. Cause I always like to bring these things back yeah. to what's happening uh, in terms of culture, right? Like, how are they selling? How are how are they selling this idea of liberation theology? Well, you have a retrocausal version of it, which is a morality play, and like, oh, okay, yeah, I'm I'm down with it. And then the the uh, the name of the movie is called Romero, and he oh, plays Archbishop o- Archbishop Oscar Romero. And right, right. He he was yeah. he was a. I remember uh, that name? Yeah, he was um, a bishop that was was killed, right? Yes, and so this is a, yet another kind of modern day tale of martyrdom, mm-hmm. which is in support of this idea of liberation theology. And you can even see, look at the look at the mm-hmm. symbolism for the. Oh my! Oh, and oh, that, yeah, oh, and uh, that right. comes in. Hey, yeah, doesn't yeah, that yeah. come in with the? Yeah, right. So there's the cross. All right, keep there's that the cross. in mind. And the church is at a crossroads, having to take a moral social position. With this, with the, yeah. yeah. All right, so just keep that image in mind and maybe we'll bring that up. By the way, Ralph we'll... Julie is a Scientologist. Is just he? Throw, yeah, just to throw that out there. Okay, here we go. Take it away, Chris. Okay, you're still on IMDb. Okay. Good. Um, so as I'm reading the book, they're talking about the Pope coming um, up for consideration for the papacy. And well, you know, they're not so sure about him because he really comes across as kind of what they refer to as a bumbling uh, poet philosopher and really kind of like not really fit for the papacy. He's not a statesman, he's he's not sophisticated. You know, yeah, he he did this great thing with um, the whole um, thing in, in Poland and got got Poland through that. But yeah, you know, he's kind of wishy-washy. We're not so sure. He's kind of a bumbling idiot. And then I'm thinking when, before Donald Trump was even in office and when he was just announcing his candidacy, immediately the attack dogs come out. Oh, he's this bumbling idiot. You know, he's just such a clown and what, what a fool and what a jerk. And, you know, oh my God. and. John Stewart was like wetting his pants, laughing about him, you know, and we were too. We were right along with them saying, you can't be serious. This guy is just too much. As I'm going through the book, I'm seeing all these parallels coming up and I'm writing in the margin. I'm like, huh, this sounds familiar. 
Where have I seen this before? Oh, this is what they're doing with Trump. So there was that part of it. And then I just made a list of, of the instances that I saw that were echoes of one another. And I'll just kind of run through them superficially and then we can, we can bounce off them if we like. Um, so let's see. Oh, so this Pope, this Slavic, what they called the Slavic Pope seemed so unfit for the papacy. He might, that he might play a pivotal role in the power politics of the world was unthinkable. Well, you can apply that to Donald Trump in, this, in the same way. And then in the beginning, the Vatican globalists think that John Paul may be with them. So in the beginning, it's like, well, you know, he's, you know, he's, a, Donald Trump is a billionaire. He's probably one of us, but he's not really one of us, not politically anyway, right? He, yeah, so some people would look at him as, well, he's an insider, he's a billionaire. But is he an insider? Because then when I look at who's supporting him, all the neocons were attacking him, which to me was my first red flag. When I saw that, then I started to pay attention. That's when I started to say, hmm, a man is known by his enemies. And if the, if the neocons are against him, then I'm going to pay attention and see why. This, maybe there's something that I don't know that I need to learn. Um, and then, so, oh, so then, he comes into the papacy and it's already infiltrated. So he, it's like stepping into a hornet's nest and he's coming in and he's, he's still got this traditionalist perspective. And the same thing happened to Trump. He comes in, he knew it was bad, but he's known to have said that he was totally unprepared for just how bad. And it's really a global problem. It's not a local problem. And he was totally un unprepared for the rat's nest that he walked into. So um, let me see. So, oh yeah, so all levels of our government have for decades been already infiltrated by Marxism. And he's walking into this and he's, you know, he's really swimming against the tide. And then you have to see the, the parallels with the assignments within the government. So the Pope is making these appointments within the government, within the papacy of the Vatican, Vatican and everybody's scratching their heads. They're like, he's a globalist that he's putting in. What is he doing? So they cannot quite get a grasp on who is this man? Is he with the globalists? Is he with the traditionalists? It's really hard to say. And then I'm thinking, well, that sounds familiar. When you see the appointments that Donald Trump made, you're really like, he's just like banging your head against the wall. Like, what is he thinking? John Bolton? He's thinking, I better listen to Sheldon Adelson. That's what yeah, he's Yeah, I mean, you think all of that, Robert. And then- Since he gave me all this money, I better, I better listen that's to That's in the mix. And then there's, you know, all the other political appointments. Like, why? It makes well, no sense. Well, I think sense. he had a lot of people that he owed political favors to. Yeah, well, who knows? But and the, 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 Mercer, the, Mercer, the Mercer family contributed huge amounts of money. 
right. to the Trump campaign. But there's so money flying if, all over the place. If they if they want a couple of people, like they wanted Steve Bannon in, but that didn't work out too well because yeah. they were also funding Steve Bannon. But I'm sure there were other appointments. Um, let's talk a little bit about the Pope. Uh, first of all, he's a Taurus, and uh, I didn't I didn't I know the day he's born on because I looked the day up. And I don't have to put the charts together, but I know where his sun sign is in terms of degrees. It puts his sun sign right on Trump's midheaven. So, yeah. So I think uh, the Pope is like a 25, uh, probably about a 25 degree, 24 degree Taurus. And that's Trump's midheaven, which is also conjunct Algol. So yeah. the connection between the Pope and Trump astrologically is a fit. Like you can make, you can make a case for that astrologically. Well, this um, started so to emerge as a pattern in the book. Um, and, um, yeah. And I just also remember that before John Paul II, John Paul I, right, who was, who was put in by the traditionalists in the church to be a counter to the Marxist. Um, and he lasted 33 days. Maybe you could pull those photos he, up before of he some was, of these personalities. Yeah, before he was, before he was um, you know, basically he died in his sleep whatever you know whatever right right that. yeah yeah that so that was a that was a really bizarre time um that's a very bizarre time because he apparently from what i understand he was going to, going to go after the corruption of the catholic church yeah right he mm -hmm. was going to get in there and and basically say look we got to clean up get a clean up shop here yeah. And he lasted, you're right, the magical 33 days. 33 days, isn't that interesting, you know? Oh, and, and yeah. all the Masonic, you know, tags in this are just glaring. And he's uh, he he died on September 28th, 1978. It's in, there. It's in my notes. All the 1978. notes. 1978. Yep. Uh, his papacy began August 26th. And when did the, that banker Mazzini die? The guy you know what I'm the talking bridge? about? Oh, yeah. Is that off the Thames? A bridge on the Thames? The was Tiber. That? It was the Tiber. The okay. Tiber in Rome. So yeah. he's supposed to be, so he, um, uh, let's see, what is it? The, the Vatican's banker, right? Is he on the list? Um, Calvi, Roberto Calvi. That's it. Is, is Calvi. Mazzini, Mazzini's somebody else. He's a, he's, a, he's a Mason. So Mazzini dies in 82. So that's four years after the Pope, and he dies. He dies under that bridge that um, Heath Ledger is being hung from. Oh, in, oh. The, in um, Doctor Parnassus. Yes, same bridge. Huh. Oh. Huh. And, that's right. And, and, that's and, right. And hung. Right. Yeah. Same thing. Oh, and, right. Anyway. So, so yeah, this other Pope though, he's only around for thirty-three days. Right. Mm. And from what from what I remember, he was going to clean up the corruption in the Catholic church. Yeah. That was his, mm -hmm. that was his gig. Well, let's get a visual on him. Yeah. So we can see him. So there he is. You're here, some images on him. Well, well, what about the ones I sent you? Yeah. You sent me a ton of images. No, in the, in that email, but the, it's a, it's a, it's a list of all the popes. Right. And they served. Yep. So what happens to this guy? He dies at 33 days in, into his papacy. And is this where we get Pope John Paul II? Does he come out of that? He does, doesn't he? Yeah, right. So he comes after that. 
and um, I do forget. And yeah, then you got to remember him, like him, Ian Reagan gets shot nearly at the same time. Can you access that email, Robert? Because it's got all that information in it right at your fingertips. You won't have to see yeah, it. Yeah, I've downloaded all your images, but they're kind of hard to uh, sort through. Let me just see. I'll just go back to your email. Do it that way. So Pope John Paul II, back in the day when I was doing my early conspiracy digging, his name would come up. And it would come up in relationship to the Nazis. Did you have you ever like climbed down that rabbit hole at all? Mm, I know that I, I know it's in the mix, but so this is this was this was the story. Um, the story was was that he I'm not sure I believe it because I'm not sure I believe the actual story to the extent of the stories being told. But supposedly he sold the Nazis the Zyklon B gas. Um, that Haley. they used in the they, that they supposedly used in the uh, in the concentration camps. John Paul II did. Yes, that's that was that was an early kind of huh. um, conspiracy dive that I that I went into a long long time ago. Hmm. No, I didn't come across that. That doesn't anywhere. make sense. You would have been twenty years old. Well, you know, I think uh, George George Soros did a lot of damage when he was what nine or ten. True, but he yeah, did. True. Yeah, well, you know, but he be being in Poland and he wouldn't. That doesn't make sense to me anyway. You know, because yeah. because um, Ig Farben was the the biggest financial supporter of uh, of Hitler's regime. So mm -hmm. you know, they did, I I don't see why they would need a you know a poll to to uh, to sell anything to them. You know, they were right there. Yeah. Well, anyway, it was one of those things that cross my because he has a whole other prehistory right he he was not celibate he you know he had sex and he's a playwright right? so i had no i got no problem with that i mean that's and i believe that's, he was a playwright that was what i knew yeah, exactly before. yeah so what, he's an interesting yeah, second yeah, he's an interesting he's an interesting character yes he is he's very pictures. complex as well right he's kind of like malachi martin in some ways yes because in the end at the at the absolute end, like on the last page of the book, where you're waiting for him to do the right thing, he doesn't. He has the opportunity. He's in Poland. He's on pilgrimage, and he has the opportunity to go back to Rome because this Father Christian Gladstone and his cohorts were in support of him and supported the traditional church. They had a helicopter waiting for him to go back to Rome and to turn his back on the new world order and he doesn't and that's how the book ends and i had to read that it was so subtle i'm waiting for this big climax and i keep reading and like nothing's happening and then i had to go back and read it three times to tease out exactly it was so subtle because it was just christian gladstone is begging him like practically on on his knees begging him and then the crowds are outside the balcony and they something happens the big roar from the crowds and he turns his head away i can just see the movie he turns his head away from christian gladstone and goes toward the crowd and then the scene closes and goes dark and that's the end of the story so in the end 
he turned his back on the church and he turned his back on the people. And then that also gets into all the Marian apparitions and the predictions from Portugal. But um, some other parallels were this anti-papal church um, where the Pope was seen as a traditionalist by the globalist, as someone who was just a relic of the old ways. And just, he was had these quaint ideas that were outmoded and had to be discarded actually. And then the same thing with Pope that he's seen as this person who's hanging on to the old America. He's for the constitution, he's for the people, he's for America first. And so that was very striking to me as another parallel. So I found those images. Let's, if you want to, we can kind of um, cruise through them. Sure. If you'd like to do that, all right, let's do that. Yeah. And while we're doing that, I'll just, I'll just finish out with a few more of these parallels. That comes later. I'd like to show that one later, but that's a really important connection. Just hold that one in abeyance. Um, so. So is Trump a Jesuit? He went to Fordham. He went to Penn. They're Jesuit schools. Is he a Jesuit? We know that we, Jerry Brown's a Jesuit. A Jesuit in spirit, you're saying. Is he a... Yeah, I mean, Jerry Brown, Newsom. Right. Right, they come is out of Jesuit schools. Club? Jerry Brown was yeah. a priest, wasn't he? Yes, right. yes, Jerry Brown. Well, he was in seminary. I, think, I don't know if he ever right. completed his vows, but... Well, tra- we'll just say he was... Definitely he was trained by some Jesuits, that's for sure, mm-hmm. in Florida. Mm-hmm. You know. All right, um, since this is up, we'll talk about it. Yeah. Um, so this hit me like a ton of bricks and Steve was the one who gave me the the time and the, uh, and the spatial location. So the Pope had these visions of the blessed Virgin Mary and, and she, she wanted him to be the person who saves the church. And you think that he's going to do that. So he may, he goes on a pilgrimage and he's back. He wanted to go to this. He had a connection with this statue that he saw of Mary Magdalene. And so he has this pilgrimage and he goes back to his homeland. He goes back to Poland. And they have such contempt for him because of his religiousness. They just look at him as a complete buffoon, these, these globalists do. Right. And so... Then I somehow I came across this that Donald Trump and Melania, the day after the riots in Washington, DC, where Black Lives Matter was burning down the city and they set fire to the Episcopal Church. The very then Trump went over there with the Bible, recall? Yeah, the upside down Bible. Right. And then the next day, they go on a pilgrimage just down the street. There is a shrine. It's connected with the National Shrine in Washington, D.C., with the National Cathedral. This is like either next to it or an ancillary to it. And it's of Pope John Paul II. And I'm thinking, and they go and they lay flowers at his shrine then that just was the capstone for me. That just like plunked it right into the top. Like there is some kind of a deep connection that he sees 
with what happened to that Pope and what he's been put through. Interesting. Well, when I think of Trump, he he is a Maliki like Martin like character. Well, he certainly got a lot going on in many different quarters. Because because I'm I'm convinced that he is a high ranking Mason. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure. I'm not sure what order. It may not be mm-hmm. uh, the well. Uh, he is Scottish, Scottish right. Well, he is, but it may not be Scottish right. Maybe and it may not be the York. It could be some kind of other order inside the order, just like there's like uh, Opus Dei inside of the Catholic Church. Let's hope it's not Opus Dei because that's no. I don't think he's open. No, I think it's a it's a Masonic order, and the reason why I believe this to be true is because they actually tore down the statue of Pike. Like they, they, when they were, t- they, yes. They, and did Trump they actually ordered, tear it down? And he'd he didn't, he didn't, okay. he didn't. But when they were tearing down statues yeah. during the summer of Floyd, the Pike statue got, got, got torn down and Trump ordered it put back up. Right. So right. it's like, okay, you're, you're, you're signaling big time here. So is he, mm-hmm. is he a, a Jesuit? Is he a Mason? Is he a Shabbos Goy? Right? Is he a secret closet uh, Habadnik? I mean, Trump it would fit right into a Malachi Martin novel, wouldn't he? And because he maps. It, he really does for me map on to John Paul II in so many ways. So, who again is another guy? If you go down the conspiracy rabbit hole, and and it may not start and end and 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 end with this thing that I read about him a long time ago as being like a the Zyklon B gas dealer. But if you dug around and looked at the prehistory of John, John Paul, you'd probably find some very interesting stuff, right? Like he's a playwright. He's got, you know, so these characters that we're talking about here are, they're not black and white. They're just, they're just not. And sometimes um, they can move and be forces of good. Sometimes they have to hang out with the rabble and this is this, this gets back the masons back in yeah th- and this gets us back church. to where we are with reality right you know we'd like to think of reality as being black and white now but it's not there are all these weird shades of gray and surreality okay so what do we have here what's going on here well this is the church i did have a bunch of pictures i had some other pictures in the email with uh where you could see the fire they set this church on fire, which yeah, was- I mean that was that's kind of burned in our brains, isn't it? Like you know, that was all over. I mean, I, how many times have we seen that video or Trump hanging out there? I mean, that was a very famous, iconic image. Yeah, like I think yeah. if we can summon that up, we can just like you know bring it into uh, the uh, the ho- the hol- the holodeck in our brains, right? Right. Um, yep. Yeah. So this is this is that church, right? Yes. Mm-hmm. And okay. it's like what's yeah. Yeah, just we just blow through them, Robert. Yeah, it's gonna go back to the Yeah, so there's John the twenty-third. Yep. So he was before Pope Paul and and before and and Pope as soon as Pope Paul comes in, that's when Vatican II um arrives. And that's and he, that's the that's the Pope that that Malachi he was you know worked with. He uh he he doesn't look like he missed too many meals, did he? No, he was Italian. Well, yeah, the only one, how many non-Italian? Well, it's two. Very few non-Italian. Well, they're yeah. the last two. Yeah. Well, the, so, so, two, po- po- so, mm-hmm. so John Paul II was Polish. 
Right. Right. Rat, rat, Ratznigger or Ratzinger was German, right? Right. German. Right. And this guy's Argentinian. This guy's Argentinian. So this last three popes Bergoglio are not Italian. Yeah. Mm -hmm. The last three popes are not Italian. Okay. Who, who do we have here? It's Paul. This is Paul the sixth under, under whom uh, all this began. And he. So he's, he's the Vatican two guy. Yes. Yeah. So he's the one that we grew up with as, uh, as Pope. Mm -hmm. Okay. And then we have the connection with Saul Alinsky. What's going on here? Okay, so and this is oh, so this is this is Bernadine. So I can run the story now, right? Yeah. So it's good to talk about right. Bernadine so, here. Yeah. So Bernadine is the one who does the Satanic Mass in South Carolina. That's in parallel to the one that's taking place in Rome. Right. So he does that as a young, as a fairly young priest. So what happens is, so he's, he's, um, he's gay. He's going to, he's, he's a pre-med student at, uh, at the University of uh, South Carolina in Charleston. And so apparently there is this, or was, this is back in the 50s, which had been way underground, you know, the network of gay bars where gay people would go to. And what happens, nobody knows, but all of a sudden, He's going to the gay bars. All of a sudden, he decides that he wants to be a priest, and his family flips out because he was going to be a doctor, and they had no conception uh, of him ever being interested in, in becoming a priest. So, so all of a sudden, and he just ro he rockets up. Um, he, he becomes, you know, he gets ordained, and he, he uh, you know, and he becomes a and then like at, at age 37, he becomes a bishop, which is right. unheard of. So apparently um, there is this cabal of, of gay priests and they're the ones that are getting promoted up through the hierarchy. And thus you have all the, all the, all the, all the pedophilia, pedophilia issues in the Roman church. So somehow he's made a deal with the devil, obviously, you know. And because uh, because he up until the point that he's cardinal of of Chicago, he's always Chicago. seen with he's always seen with 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 some young men around him. All right, right. he always has. So a, Chicago's a, the Alinsky connection, right? Yeah. So and not only that, right? So so he goes so 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 he presides over this mass, and because I guess it's successful, he 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 goes way up, you know, the ladder. The, the importance no. of this mass cannot be overstated because they are actually installing Lucifer as the head of the Catholic Church now. So that right. that point has to be driven home. The well, you could you could just feel you could just feel the waves of empathy and compassion coming yeah, right off of yeah. it, can't you? Right. So in 1986, um, Bernadine sends Obama. So this is 1986 Obama to an Alinsky theory, tactics, and community organizing seminar in California. So oh, paid great. for by the Catholic Church. And he, so so this was, is so this is the, so this is the triad. This is the one that blew me away. Yeah, that was so a he said, so somehow he knows Obama, so he's part of this. So he sends Obama to to uh, Alinsky's tactical training center. Um, in, in, uh, it was somewhere in California, but I don't know where, but you know, either way. So, so he's hooked in 
with Obama. And, and this is, I didn't know too, was that Alinsky was totally hooked in with the Catholic bishops uh, because, the, because these Catholic bishops were Marxist, right? So it kind of makes perfect sense, even though it kind of blows your mind when you, when you, when you start out with. So, and, um, so, so this is the connection that, that, that is really interesting. So he um, gets involved, he's, he gets the Presidential Medal of Freedom uh, from Clinton. <laughs> Uh, he dies in 1996. Yeah, say that again. <laughs> right. He gets the Presidential Medal of Freedom from uh, from from Clinton. From Clinton, Bernadine does. And he, at his funeral, um, this funeral is is celebrated by the Gay Men's Chorus, which I'm sure they sing beautifully. And he also gets a free Masonic Honor Guard at his funeral. Yeah. There you go. So, you know, so this guy was 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 running really the evil side of the Catholic Church in America and really behind this whole idea of, of, um, of, of not only of watering down the church, bringing in Marxist theory and, and elevating nothing but the, the Marxist gay priests. And he had something called the um, seamless garment theology. So, and what this was supposedly, it's sort of like this leveling of all the my understanding of it. It's the leveling of all the topics that you um, discuss. So in other words, so let's say you didn't, you, you're a traditionalist and you didn't like the fact that the, you know, that the wafer could be put in your hand, all right? So, but that issue was considered of equal importance to the issue of, abort, of abortion, right? Which if you're a traditional Catholic, you know, there's no ifs, ands, and buts about abortion, except with this new Pope. We're, apparently it's fine with this new pope but this this is called seamless garment i never heard of it before but so it's a sort of leveling of out of all the issues so it's so it just makes them all kind of water well you know we can we can put up with this and we can put up with that um, um and of course you know uh you know so so there the issues of abortion the issue of um you know, male priesthood, whether you agree with them or not, it's not the issue. You know, the issue is, is that it's, it's completely eviscerated the Catholic Church, installed basically the Marxist religion, which is now being writ large as I'm reading James Levine's book. Um, James Levine? Yeah, no, James, um, uh, the guy talks about are. critical race theory. Um, James Lindsay. James Lindsay. Lindsay. I was reading his book on critical race theory, right? And, and so, so, so this whole thing, in my mind, is morphing from, from this liberation people's church theology into basically critical race theory has all the elements of a theology. It's a belief sure. system. It's, right. not, it's not a fact-based system. It's not a, the, um, critical, it's not a theory. It's, 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 not, it's only critical of us. Not, you know, there's nothing critical about it. And, you know, and of course, if you, it's redefined race or, or, or racism as basically the, the sole domain of whites. Um, but this is the new religion that they're, that this, is, this is a religion and this seems to be where this, they're trying to steer everything. Well, it'll be the religion of the World Economic Forum. Yes, you know, exactly. Yeah. yeah. The one world so, religion. So the, uh, the, the, when, I, when I hear a seamless garment theory, for some reason, I, I connect it with the zipless fuck, which comes out of Eric Young's fear of flying. And I don't know why. 
It just comes right to the surface. <laughs> seamless garment, zipless fuck. They should be. <laughs> there's, uh, there's, there's a connection there somewhere, right? You know, just just to say something stupid. They don't make pants with zippers anymore. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and it was always, you know, I don't know, you know, it's like, or they put in like eight buttons, which is, which is absolutely uh, absurd. Is like worse. you're going to undo all these buttons, but most of them just have nothing there. So, and that's emasculating, you know, I, you know, it's like, it's like, yeah, I found a pair of pants with a zipper on it. I, I get excited, you know, wow. You're not, you're not, you're not shopping at Tractor Supply, obviously, Steve. Um, oh, that's the problem. Often, not often. No, no. Yeah. Where do I get? I, I, so I would say shop at Tractor Supply. Skip the no, Carhartt. For that tip, that's very skip, good. Skip, skip the Carhartt brand. Skip the Carhartt. Yeah. Well, we used skip to go to Tractor Supply when we had the farm, and I bought a yeah. shirt or two there. Um, but anyway, you know. All right. Let's let's go. Let's burn through these photos because I do want to play a clip of Malachi Martin on William F. Buckley. Okay. Uh, yeah, and go. also uh, Steve Bannon interviewed. Um, a woman this morning talking about the Marian apparitions and that that was real and he brought up Malachi Martin so all of a sudden I was like wow timing is everything Malachi Martin now is hot everybody's like banging on Malachi Martin's website not website the uh that YouTube interview with uh right whatever we, the hell is because we didn't mention it before but the the um there are a number of people in, in the, uh, the Russian Orthodox Church who are against, did I say this before, against what Putin is doing? No. And at, the same, and at the same time, there's this huge call um, to the Pope from bishops all around the world uh, to, um, because the, third, the, 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 the prophecy of Fatima, um, the, the, uh, the, 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 the mother says, you know, that Russia has to be consecrated to my sacred heart in order to avert the World War III. And so now everyone's jumping up and down. Um, but you know, in my mind, this Pope is, has no authority to even do that um, if it was possible. So anyway, so let's, let's, we can just roll on here. I know we've been jabbering. All right, is this, is this John Paul I or who's, or is this the guy that's uh, part of the, uh... No, that's John oh, Paul one. Two. That's, John that's Paul the 33 one. days. The, yes, 33 days. Interesting. Okay. Uh, nice face. Doesn't yeah, look like, you know, he's looked like he's practiced some degree of stepping away from the table. Which right. Is good. Yeah, I tried to that, find corresponding photos that would exhibit something <laughs> of the character of the person. Right. <laughs> one of them of... Uh, yeah. Benedict was so bad I couldn't show it. <laughs> and, if, and if you show the uh, the discussion between um, Malachi Martin on firing line, uh, that that takes place right after he's installed. So it's within the, that 33 day period. So of course this is John Paul II, famous. I mean the thing that does separate him from Trump, at least for now, is length of legacy. This guy was around for a while. He was seventy-eight to yeah. Uh, I was shocked yeah. when I read how long he was yeah. around. Yeah, the thing I'll tell you, I'll tell you what really probably I would say killed the Trump presidency, but it certainly didn't help. Is that he didn't have a cool car like the Pope? We well, needed a Pope mobile. The Pope mobile like no is a brand. Mobile. 
they had to have a Trump mobile. I, I'm surprised no that nobody like couldn't even just sat down with Elon Musk and said, make me a Trump mobile. Yeah, but I then, don't care if it's electric, just make me a Trump mobile. Right. But Elon Musk can't make anything bulletproof. You know, it's not even hammer proof as we see <laughs> in his videos. All right. Who, who else do we have? Oh, here we go. Right. So they, okay. I heard they got rid of this guy because know, like, he, he was actually antithetical to their plans. Yes. That, that he was yeah. part of the, he was part of the same order that, um, uh, what's his name? Uh, the Supreme Supreme Court Justice that got his throat slit here in Texas. Oh, Alito. Uh, not Alito. Not Alito. No, um, not Alito. What's I've got? It. It's like it's just yesterday that this really pillow. happened. Yeah, with the pillow. Um, yeah. Oh God. You know what I'm talking about. Chat room. Chat. Chat room knows everything. <laughs> yeah, I can figure. Yeah. Um, hold on. <laughs> This is I'm happy. So usually I'm pretty on the spot with names. Every now and then there's the memory hole. Uh, dead. Let's see. <laughs> I'm just gonna do real quick. Pillow. Do pillow. To pillow. Um. Scalia. 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 He is Scalia. Supposedly we're part of the same. Uh, one of these underground groups inside the Catholic Church it wasn't Opus Dei. Right, but it right, was right. it was a similar group, hmm. and supposedly, this guy was not a globalist, and that he was right. actually more strict Orthodox Catholic doctrinaire, and that's why they had to move him out. That was exactly. I think that's I think that's the point. But they didn't kill him, um, and and he's you know he's popped up you know lately too, um, because I think he's had enough. But they must have something on him right. in order to do that. I was surprised right. to read that he actually, what he prosecuted like 400 priests for child. Uh, That's what abuse, I'm talking about. The, which this guy, I was like, hold on a minute. I think I had the wrong impression of this man. Well, I mean, look, look how he looks. I mean, he looks like the, the Sith Lord from Star Wars. Right? That's very good. <laughs> but, but in reality, he was counterproductive to what they wanted to do with the church and bring oh, well. th this clown in and start to make it this new age theology. Right. So you can't always tell a book by its cover in a lot of ways. And speaking of clowns, there he is right here. There right. is himself. Right. So, right. The devil and, incarnate. But, and then as you know, as I guess everyone knows, but just to, you know, say that he, he is the first Jesuit Pope. So this is the first unification. Sometimes people call him the great Pope because it's the, the black Pope was always the head of the Jesuits. So, so he's the first combination of the black and the white Popes, or is it, or is it just the elimination of the papacy, I guess, is in another way of saying it, especially given his, you know, his policies and, you know, and, um, you know, can't, can't find one religious leader in the world who is against uh, taking the stab you right know, they're all they're all pushed for it so that's that puts them all in the globalist camp and i guess that's ratzinger with the new pope is that right are they there together is yes that, that's, with, with yeah. uh bergoglio looks like they're in bergoglio. detention somewhere <laughs> yeah have to stay after class. Okay, um, there's your rogues gallery of popes. Let's play about five minutes of the Buckley clip. 
And then um, I got to transition out here because I'm doing a, a another show at 220 with somebody. Not this, I'm a guest. So let's let's do a little bit of a um, Maliki Martin so we can get his style. Mm-hmm. Yeah, one scene, never forgotten. All right, so I think he comes on towards the uh, okay. the end. He's in, I think, the last. He is third. at the end of this one. So what this yeah. is is he's yeah. got um, William Buckley has this really smarmy um, priest who is into liberation theology. He's really trying not to. He, he's trying to avoid being a complete Marxist asshole. And then there's this other British guy who's written books about it. Who, who is a convert, actually. Yeah, and who, 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 who eviscerates him for the most part during this discussion. And then they bring Malachi on towards the end to, to kind of moderate, but it's, it's, it's obviously not you know, a fair fight. Okay, so here we go. In his document, Introduction to the Missile, yes. and in his correspondence with Bishop, Archbishop Lefebvre in the book, yes. very clear that what uh, Quo Primum did, yeah. did not lock it forever, that it was taken in a particular context and that this replaces that. So I, Yes. Uh, okay. It is a, uh, Michael, actually, I want to change my mind. I want to get to you first, if I may. Okay. I want to take the entire question of Marcel Lefebvre and his traditionalist stand, uh, and my sympathy for that is terribly deep, I assure you. By the way, when I say I like the Latin Mass, I meant I liked everything about it, the liturgy and the prayers. Yeah. But, and I want to take the Kung incident and to put the following question on a broad scope with you. You would admit, I think, that a validly ordained priest today using the Pauline Mass with the correct intention and the apt matter of bread, wine, according to the laws of the Church, says a valid Mass and consecrates and really does represent the sacrifice of Jesus on Calvary. Okay? Y yes, and the I Archbishop's just put out a yeah. statement affirming that's his opinion okay. too. He did. I read that yes. statement. Now, it, wouldn't it be far better, therefore, while satisfying the, um, as the Pope says, satisfying those who like the old liturgy, to say this is a, not only a very different world and not only a beleaguered world where Christians are in a vast minority and an increasing minority, but is also a world which, as far as we can see, within the lifetime of our grandchildren, if God has blessed us with grandchildren, the majority of mankind will be black and yellow, not white, and will not have Western culture. They may have the American bubble of dishwashers, un survivor and so vast, but they won't have the white mentality. Now, Latin and the entire Latin liturgy was developed by a Mediterranean, within the Mediterranean uh, area, with a Latinate culture, um, culturally going back to Greek and, Greeks and Rome, which, however much we studied, will not last and will not be practiced in Katanga or in Shillong and therefore that the broad view would say conserve keep our rites and rituals but the church in venturing on this very dangerous road and I have some strictures against you Monsignor there in a moment if I can get back to it in all charity because I found you wishy-washy <laughs> about that when you um, uh, oh Michael I found you wishy-washy on things too I want to get at you but don't you think it is a this is a new venture for the church as they did with the Lombards, uh, whom they called that loathsome people, but in the time of Gregory and his successor, we're endeavoring, while not 
uh, crunching the sentiments of those who like the Latin, to widen the scope of this church which Jesus said finally must be preached to all nations and must not be confined to a Latinate mentality. I'm advocating as how, the devil. How do you handle that, Mr. Davies? <coughs> well, to start with, I don't go a lot on this cultural change thing which you just mentioned and that Father mm. mentioned earlier because mm. uh, if, if, obviously if you're familiar with European history, American history, when you think what's happened in the last few hundred, the, the, the <coughs> Industrial Revolution, uh, the two world wars, yes. uh, th those are far greater shocks than anything that's happened since the 1960s when you had Vatican II. There's nothing much changed in, uh, in Western society since then. Yeah. And, and obviously what I'm principally concerned with is the faith within the society in which I live. I, I don't really want to speculate on what's going to happen in a hundred years' time in a predominantly black or, 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 or yellow uh, culture. Yeah. I'd like to see, <clears throat> you're saying about this being a, that it would be a good thing to adapt it to the cultures of people, but when St. Augustine came over to the Saxons, who are really dreadful Germanic, as pointed out, I'm Welsh, nothing to do with the horrible Saxons <laughs> and English, but uh, when he came over there, uh, the English were able to adapt the Latin liturgy, and I think if they could, anybody could. Uh, yes. And uh, when they went to India, <coughs> I have a lot of correspondence with India now. Uh, terrible things are happening over there. It's called, theoretically, it's called the Indianization of the liturgy, but it's really yes. the Hinduization, and it's, they're turning it into a Hindu yes. ser it, it, service. It's, it's, it's dreadful. And it's the Indian dreadful. Catholics are indignant about this. I know, it's a dreadful uh, mishmash. Uh, Monsieur, though, on the other hand, you're not really full of defense today because on the one hand, you seem to draw, perhaps you didn't mean it, a parallel between Hans Kung and Lefebvre, which I find very unjustified. After all, Hans Kung is a declared heretic uh, in the sense that he has professed heresy. He's denied the divinity of Jesus, doesn't believe he rose from the dead, doesn't believe you and I will rise from the dead, doesn't believe in the Immaculate Conception or the infallibility, doesn't believe there's such a thing as sacred orders for a priest. In fact, you know. And Lefebvre has never done all of that. Now, you make a radical distinction, don't you, between Lefebvre and uh, Hans Kuhn? I'd make a distinction. Go ahead. Not a radical one? Um, Not really a radical one? <coughs> if so, wouldn't you really say Lefebvre was guilty of material heresy? Would your stricture go as far as that? No, I don't. Uh, no, I wouldn't say that. You wouldn't say that? No. That's a rather radical difference, Monsignor. Okay. Isn't it? All right. Now, I feel like I'm watching. You know, I feel like I'm watching the debates in some kind of, you know, a Catholic uh, monastery in like the 1500s. That's mm -hmm. like the Tibetans right. having their their debates. It, it, it's like it, it's like the, the debate between the Albigensians and uh, the uh, uh, the Dominicans or something, right? Like it, it, this, it, this has been going on for centuries with the church and the rationalization, you know, when, when, once, once reason comes into being and they start using reason as a tool and you get people like Aquinas and Peter mm -hmm. of Abelard and all these church scholars, they start taking mm -hmm. on the intellectual process mm -hmm. of trying to rationalize everything in the Bible and God. And then you have another group that comes along is a reactionary group to whatever has been, you know, theorized or rationalized. And then you get to the Franciscans, like just throw it all out the window. It's all about feeling. Right. And it's, it, that's what this reminds me of. There's like, this has been going on for centuries mm -hmm. with these mm -hmm. characters. And, yeah, um, the Tibetans and do you, the same thing. And you know, this, uh, uh, and you know, the story about Aquinas, right. Where 
So he's written, you know, uh, what they call yeah, him. Uh, yeah, the, it's a great story. Go ahead, tell the it. It's ma- a great the story. Magus Doctor, right? And he's yeah. written whatever, you know. It's called the Prosologium. I, I think it's the Prosologium. Is that what it's called? Um, That's like his master work. It's the thing he's been working on his well, entire life. Yeah, so he's worked. Yes, he, he's just this, you know, writer. And he's, of course, a child of, of Aristotle. And, and the uh, the uh, the Steinerian Rosicrucians would actually say that he 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 was a reincarnation of Aristotle, be that as it may. Um, so the story that that I know is that at the end of his life, he's he's in the process of saying mass, and he has a the, a deep deep experience of the Christ, of the reality of the Christ, the Christos, and he stops writing. He's done, and he just said he just says everything everything i've ever written is worthless yep and so and he spends his the rest of his life basically in silence so the story that i i heard maybe it's an iteration of that but he's with his one of his students like a scribe and he's he's working right he's working on this this i think it's the prosogium don't hold me to that and then at some point he just collapses onto the 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 manuscript and he is out for a while. And then he comes up and he looks at him and he says, all this is straw before what I've just seen. Mm. Like mm-hmm. that's the phrase. Mm-hmm. So, and I often wondered about like that, like, did he have to get to that point to have that moment? Right. Did he get to have to get to the, like the tip of the pyramid so he could fall off of it? Well, for like, him. Can he, yeah. For him. So, um, well, this is this is great stuff. Malachi Martin, I guess he was, um, I guess he was in favor of Vatican II, as as what I could hear from that. He was like, "Hey, look, you know, this no, is going to no, be the opposite." The opposite. So, so, but he was talking about how do we market Catholicism to groups that you know may supersede our, our you know our bloodline on this planet. He was mentioning that. He was talking about that in that interview. Like that was the thing that he was bringing up, right? But and, it, but but his issue is not to, as he was saying, not to make some sort of Hinduization, you know. I, I right. So, it, is an, it is a question, of course, for yeah. for the Catholics, but then, but not by making making it a Hindu mass or making it a West African mass or a Malian mass or whatever. For for him, you know, that that's where it loses. It has to be, you know, the the Roman Church that for him. You know, he he right. makes a statement in one of the interviews where he says, I am such a strict adherent to the letter of the law of the church. He doesn't deviate one, one way or the other. He'd be very uh, formidable me, he's a in a debate. Yeah. What's oh, yeah. that? He'd be very formidable in a debate. Oh, oh yeah. yeah, I'm sure he would. Yeah. Like his, yeah. his timing, his, his, uh, sense of droll um kind of sarcasm he's not right. he's got a depth of right. knowledge that is like he would be formidable right well, listen so, yeah so in the book is- jesuits he gets into that whereas um you know that's part of jesuit training is yeah. to be unflappable mm-hmm. under all these conditions be unflappably you know catholic to the core Right. I've always thought of the Jesuits as the intellectual body of the church. They've right. they've got intellectual prowess. 
So getting back to the parallels I was seeing, I was wondering how we could learn from what happened in the Vatican and apply it to what's happening in America and, and how can we educate ourselves to see in a different way and to, to read between the lines and to, as the Masons say, you know, you know, read the magical language because well, there's they're a lot they're, of magic, they're cha- a lot of well, prestidigitation yeah, going on right now. They're, they're changing the nomenclature, right? So the, the, the language right. itself is being altered, just like the mass was altered. You know, the, yes. the whole pronoun, the whole pronoun thing. And that goes uh, back to right. making the Native Americans change their language. It changes your world. Right. Yep, absolutely. So we can certainly see a parallel there for sure. Well, listen, this has been uh, a very interesting, I found it to be very thought provoking um, exploration. We're probably just scratching the surface of Malachi and what he can do. So we'll put some links up for people if they want to explore more of this. And and can I do a quick book plug? Absolutely. This is your time. This book we've just gotten, this took us a couple of years. uh, because because Peter Lamborn Wilson is, is ill, he's got sixty books. He's he's the person that I most um, uh, pattern my writing against. He's sort of you know an outside scholar. Anyway, we finally got copies of this. It's called False Messiah. Since we're talking mm-hmm. about Christianity, There's he that. talks about all forms of all different forms of Jesus, from you know from uh, from from mushroom to uh you know to all sorts of uh interesting dives uh so which one Us. Yeah. this one the other other book so i i, I hate to do this we have to wrap in like two minutes because okay. i've got to i got to be on another all thing right. at 220 okay so, so good so you got okay but you have two other books we got your book and we have the book that's really the book of the moment tell people about it right and that's walking with lethia and that one's doing really well um, so, um, through the website, you know, logosophiabooks.com, False Messiah is the title. I think it's an excellent book. And, and, you know, Peter's another one. He's, you know, it took two years because he's not well. So, uh, but I think I, I did all the illustration of this book and I think it's really beautiful. It's color, got 20 color pictures in there, artwork, things like that. Awesome. Great show. Thanks for putting it all together, Chris. Yeah, you're Appreciate it. We're excited and- to be able to share it. And um, when we uh, when we reconvene a month from now, if there's any loose threads that you want to pull back together mm-hmm. for this, we could do that. There's okay? actually part B, and and it's for me that all goes here. All right. Well, we'll we'll, we'll have this conversation. We'll pick it up again when you guys are back here next, and we'll we'll get into that. Okay. okay very good. Great, Thanks, Robert. Robert. Enjoyed it. Appreciate as it. always. Uh, love to yeah. chat, Landia. Absolutely. And, so where are uh, you headed? What's your next interview? You said you've got something. Yeah. Got so I'm, go- I'm going to be on, I'm going to be doing something with crypto psychics. Oh, so these are people, these are people that yeah. look at cryptocurrency through some form of remote viewing or psychic. Bonnie's through- husband, Gary is doing that. He's clicked into that. What's the guy's name? It's a. It's actually not a guy. It's it's a it's a woman, uh, and it's SLC something. I forget her full name, but it's it's a, a connection through Misaki. So we get they're interested in the uh, astrological take on Pluto, what Pluto might be able to 
do for cryptocurrency, et cetera, et cetera. Very good. So, that's, that's interesting. Um, listen, I'll be in touch with you guys. Thanks for being here as You're always. Welcome. You're welcome. And uh, to the rest of you, we'll be back on Sunday night, Astro Live on the 11th House channel. So use your head in order to discern what's real, your heart accept what's possible. Go check out the Krimi's website, support them, pick up their books, and uh, let's keep the written word alive. Okay, okay. guys, till next Amen. month.